Hey, this is Lance, and I uh, can't imagine why I would never listen to the radio podcast. Um, but I don't because uh, I'm too busy wondering why you wouldn't want anybody to listen to it. <laughs> anyway, thanks, and uh, I love your podcast. Bye. Broadcast live on D20 Radio's Justin TV channel. You're listening to the Order 66 podcast. Brought to you by Gamer Nation Studios, D20 Radio, and MapsOfMastery.com. up gamer nation gm chris here and for those who may be tuning in for the very first time this is the order 66 podcast so welcome to the original podcast entirely devoted to star wars role-playing and uh, joining me tonight the r- recovering re- is it you are recovering are you not yes i'm recovering the, re- the recovering voice of of gm phil who's you dude you're you're getting over the flu and you're you got like hacking cough yeah uh, I did. I just have a, I had this one cough that just will not leave. It's 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 doing the best it can. Fortunately, the throat, the voice, it's it's here. It's there. It's it's not everywhere. It's it's ready to rock, and I'll just keep the mic mute uh, at the ready. Okay. Well, that's that's good. Did uh, did Thanksgiving dinners help? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Um, <laughs> I actually didn't have Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving. I actually just got home from Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. The in-laws lost power when I lost internet and cable on Wednesday night because Wednesday night we had a nor'easter up here, uh, which for those who are not in the area means that there was a whole lot of wind, there was a whole lot of snow, and there was a whole lot of ice. Uh, the problem is, is when you have a nor'easter this early in the season when there haven't been enough cold nights where the tree sap freezes, trees tend to bow on when you put hundreds of pounds of snow on them, and they like to take down power lines as they do it. Oh. So I was lucky. I still had power at least, which was fortunate for my turtle. Uh, but it was also fortunate because I, you know, had things that I could do while waiting for the cable and internet to come back. Unfortunately, the in-laws who lived three towns over, they had no power, so we couldn't have Thanksgiving dinner on Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. But hey, it, it happens. You know, they they, they had this 18-pound burn. Like we gotta cook it. It's defrosting. So uh, just had it today, so. dude. Well, I had two Thanksgiving dinners. Um, Ooh, there you go. Yeah, I know, man. My wife, uh, my wife made a beautiful little meal for just us and uh, the, uh, the immediate family uh, on on Thursday, and then uh, this weekend went to my folks uh, for a, a Thanksgiving meal up there. So I got to have turkey twice, and mashed nice. potatoes twice, and stuffing and all that jazz twice, and it was just awesome. You know what's wrong with that? Hmm. Nothing. Not a damn thing. Yeah, lots of pie. Mm, lots, pie. Or, or, as we say down here, pie. 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 <laughs> Wife makes an amazing chocolate pie. I just had some. Oh, oh my god! You bastard. Um, I had pumpkin pie. I had uh, I had pecan pie, and my mom makes a cream cheese cherry pie. 
There you go. That'll knock your socks off. <clears throat> so, yeah, it's good stuff. Socks are optional. Got it. <laughs> At the Casa de la GM Chris, yes. There you go. Socks and underwear are optional. Hey-o. <laughs> Hey-o. God. All right, let's get into this. Hello there. What have we here? Good news. I believe now is the time when we bring up announcements. Yes, sir. Do we have a featured Uh, podcast of the week? We do. After a too long long wait following their epic Gen Con recap episode, the Brew City Gamers, one of D20 Radio's OG shows is back on the airwaves with their 105th show, a quick why but, as in what have you been up to episode. Mr. Ruffles, the shrew, and Bug check in with us to geek out about the games they've been freaking out over, and uh, it's glad to have you back, boys. Too long. Yeah, too long, way too long. Uh, But you can find the Brew City Gamers and many more great podcasts over at www.d20radio.com. Yes, you can. FFG news. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, dude, what? Force and, Destiny, For- Force and Destiny beta update number 10 went up. Yes, and as anyone who's been following them have been noting, that they've been getting lesser and lesser <laughs> on the updates with each subsequent one. Uh, little tweaks here, little tweaks there. Uh, and this will probably be, from the sound of the article announcing it, their next to last or even last beta update. Uh, beta update 10. Very few changes, but what is there is almost entirely focused on updating Starship stat blocks, uh, which is the focus of their latest te- round of testing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they're due for either announcing the beta is over or doing one final beta update and then saying it's over after this, folks. Um, so continue to submit feedback. That is one thing that they did want to stress. Uh, there will be an update this week. Uh, this Tuesday, so as they spend a couple weeks consolidating all the outstanding feedback, so if you've got any more from your games, especially on Starships, because that's what the big thing they wanted to test recently, yeah, uh, get it in. Yeah, and there's people like there's there's been a lot of updates for this comparatively. I mean, reminds me of um, of the uh, Edge of the Empire beta. Remember yeah. how that had eleven updates too? It did, it did. And it was one of those things that that's like, they were trying to get the rules, like, refined for that one. And then when Age came out, you really didn't have this whole massive, there wasn't a whole lot of new things to test. You know what I mean? No, it was just a lot of tweaking. It was just a lot of, lot of minor tweaking. But with this one, you have, I mean, like, you got a whole new balance structure you've got to try and figure out. So, yeah. a lot of it's interesting. And that's what, they, that's what they've been doing. Yeah, yeah so you, it's why we're seeing so much of it, but it, it's there. Um, they got the mechanics down. They're, now they're just really trying to tweak the whole. Okay, we we got to balance this force power. We've got to balance this this talent tree. This this vehicle now. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I and I, I more power to them. Hey, I get to all I got to say. Um, so from the keyboard of Sterling Hershey, we have been remiss, Phil, in not reminding our fine listeners to check out the Star Wars Wednesday's blog of Sterling Hershey. So from what I understand, Sterling hasn't been able to update it much recently himself. Yeah, this is this is true. This is true. Um, it, which is which is good for him because it means he's been working a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> but his most recent post um, actually details the events and adventures that he ran at Kansas City Game Fair 2014. Um, awesome. Really good read. So head over to www.sterlinghershey.com to check it out. 
because he also teases Star Wars news. We, mm-hmm. All right, so you guys know we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about it. Lucasfilm has released an 88-second teaser for Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Went online this past <sighs> Friday. Um, it will be shown globally in theaters this December. But those of us lucky sons of guns who actually live near one of the 30 theaters in North America um, who got it early got to see it on the big screen as early as the Friday after Thanksgiving. Yep. Um, I was out of town, uh, um, so I, I could not go, but even though one of the theaters was close to me at the West Plano Cinemark, um, but dude, the AMC Boston Commons 19 also had it. Did you get to see it live? I did not. Um, the, that's kind of a pain in the ass theater for me to get to. Mm. It's in the middle of Boston, it, over Black Friday. It's, it's in a, a commerce district. So it's just like, you know what? I'm, I'm just not going to be able to get to Boston really specifically just to see the trailer well okay but they they released it online right yes on friday and it the the release of the trailer it actually they they obviously as as many people want to do they released it first on itunes right right right. it it literally broke itunes (laughs) (sighs) for about an hour (laughs) i'm i'm i i don't i don't i i don't uh i'm not surprised by that not surprised in the least so dude Let's talk about the trailer, man. I mean, yes. reactions, what? There's a lot of unusually mixed reactions online. There's going to be mixed reactions about everything. I mean, the one thing that people need to remember is that this this film isn't just for us old jaded folks. Um, as I've seen a lot of people say who, who've seen the trailer with their kids, the kids are like, I love the lightsaber, I love the droid! And those are two of the biggest gripe fests that you've seen on the on the. Uh, on the on the on the internet's about it, you know. It it I hate to say it, guys, but it's not just for us. Well, okay, I want to talk. I want to break it down and talk about some of the big details in the trailer, right? So, and for anyone who really wants to break it down, if you head over to Jedi News, uh, someone did a frame by frame page where they took every frame of it and just listed it out there. So if you really need a good still, go look up JediNews.co.uk uh, and you can find the TFA teaser. Um, broken out you can also probably find the link for it to uh on a uh, force uh force net but yes let's break it down well yeah dude i mean okay so first off dude the narration i don't know why folks said it sounded like benedict cumberbatch it sounded like benedict cumberbatch to me okay all right but i i, I don't know it's sort of smog-esque you know i can see that i can see that but the thing is it's like several news, news sources say it's not benedict cumberbatch and they say it's actually andy circus <laughs> it was a great voiceover too. It was a great voice, and we've never heard a voice like him, like that from him before. But he's such a strong character actor. I, you know, um, I sure. told, yeah. But I, I, look, whether it's Benedict or Andy, just either way, nerdgasm. What? Yeah, uh, was a, someone was saying that this might be the first time they actually mentioned the light side of the force on screen. Uh, that if you go back through, they always just talk about the force, the force, the force, and then the dark side of the force. They never actually mention the light side of the force. Oh, yeah. So now the next time I watch the trilogies, I'm going to be like listening extra carefully for that, whatever. That's very, it's very interesting. So, okay, before we get into the the nitty gritties, I mean, overall, did you enjoy the trailer? Did it leave you hopeful or did it leave you upset, wanting more? What were your reactions to it? Guardedly guardedly excitedly optimistic. Okay. Um, My brain going, okay, this is it. As any editor will tell you, 
you can you can make a trailer out of the biggest piece of crap and have it look awesome. <laughs> um, act, you know, Hollywood's been doing this for years, but just looking at what they've given us, I am I am cautiously ecstatic about this. My caution. I want to see more. Yeah. I want to see. Well, yeah, because I'm like you know I'm expect. I don't want to say I'm expecting it to to burn me. I'm just saying that I'm I'm like okay, this looks really good. Show me more. You know, and I, well, I'm, my, I have no caution. My, my caution's out the window. After seeing that, I'm, 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 I'm just, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be better than the prequels. I'll say that. Um, and and, and if, if it's able to do that, it will be a success for me. Um, Admittedly, the bar is kind of low on that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to gonna say that. Yeah, yeah, this is this is very, very true. But I, I like, the first thing, like, I, I mean, as we'll get into it, but, like, it felt like the original trilogy to me. I didn't see new spangled shiny technology. Everything looked old for the yep. most for the most part and weathered where it needed to. Yep. Um, it, the universe looked lived in. This that same feeling the production designers were able to capture with the original trilogy. Even the X wings still look beaten up, and they look like they're and they're obviously next generation X wings. Yeah, it was it was just it was it was awesome. Um, so okay, let's break down some of the key highlights of the trailer, man. So the first faces that we see. Um, are yep. that are that of John Boyega and and Daisy Ridley's characters, um, yep. which to to me says, hey, these are the main characters, you know. Uh, some of them, yeah, yeah, the, uh, you're right. And John was in Stormtrooper armor in the middle of the desert. Okay, so that, that, what's that tell you? I mean, is is he is he a deserter? Is he a defector? Is he is he doing a Han Solo, you know, Luke Skywalker style thing? Yeah, what? who you knows? Know? Who knows? But. I have to. I have to say, considering you know, and I understand when the original trilogy was made, but the fact that you had one female character who was still fairly one dimensional in the first film, um, right. and you know, only one uh, an African American character didn't appear until the you know second film, um, well, the second half of the second, second film. half of the second film, um, you know, to to have these two be the main characters, I think is just you know. I don't, it's it's nicely done. I expected to see Luke, Han, Leia, but the overwhelming message on this was like, no, new, new, new. Um, yeah. So I was all about that. Um, what else, liking man? It, liking it. What else? Um, we expected to see Luke, Han, and Leia, but I'm not surprised that they're not in it. I mean, maybe Luke was in one of those X-wing fighters. Han and Chewie and possibly Leia were most definitely in the Falcon. Mm. You, I mean, you'd think. Okay, what about what about the soccer ball droid? F one, F four. They see me rolling. They hating. <laughs> th- there's been like, oh man, that's so stupid. I'm like, dude, it's a droid. It's supposed to be comic relief. That's kind of the point of the droids in the original trilogy. They were the... now. I am expecting someone to literally soccer ball kick that sucker across the screen at some point. That would be pretty. It's hilarious. almost begging for it. That would be pretty hilarious. Um, okay, so uh, you mentioned the X wings earlier. You know they look oh, they look great. God. Obviously, next next gen they had that that cool blue stripe down the side. You know. And I also love the fact that you know it confirms everything that we kind of hypothesized when J.J. Uh, Abrams teased the X-wing, that the X-wings open up uh, one in front of the other, that you know, they close on a single plane, unlike the X-wing, un- unlike the X-wing wings that we grew up with, where they were over under. These are front to back, ah. and they open up. Uh, you know, you know the, the front ones open up high, and the back ones open up low, or whichever whatever orientation it goes. Right, right. 
it's yeah. um, really ingenious. I kind of dig that. But I, I love the cinematography over the water. Um, there, oh, it looks gorgeous. Were, I, I'm going to rely on you on this because you're obviously the the uh, the expert when it comes to, to replica making and costuming. But um, I did notice, it kind of pissed me off, the, the, the image you see of the pilot in the X-Wing, he had some Arabesh characters on his flight suit, but the letters were upside down. Yeah, um, if you and if you go, uh, uh, I only found this out because of that site I talked about before that had them all frame by frame, and I could actually grab it and look at the image. Um, the Arubesh on his vest actually says "Pull to inflate." Upside. So, oh, and it's oh, it's upside down. So, yeah, so he the can Arubesh re- is upside down so that he can read it. it. He looks down, he sees in perfect orientation to him, "Pull to inflate." So, it actually. Out and out says that those white vests that they're wearing are actually life vests. Oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, that's that's awesome. Okay, so nothing has gotten more I think hate in the trailer than uh, the obvious Sith's lightsaber. Right. Um, the the first thing is you know oh it looks crummy it doesn't look lightsaber it's all like it's all like like sketchy and sparkly and crap it looks unstable. Um. Which is part of its charm, really. I I, I agree. It, it's like it looks freaking evil, and it's not like the EU doesn't have a history of of you know unstable lightsaber crystals that have that type of effect on the blade, or wonky lightsaber hilts for that matter. Yeah, I know. Okay, so all right, all right. Now I thought like my first thought was that looks badass. It's like lightsaber broadsword. Okay, what are your thoughts on the cross guards? And this is the part that I kind of reserve judgment on. I'm like kind of going, mm, I really don't see the point there, but. Now I can I can kind of get behind it because someone's like saying, "Oh, why don't the two lightsabers when they both connect, someone can just slide right down and chop off those uh, those emitters that are spitting the the blades out the side?" The thing is, is that we haven't seen lightsabers do much sliding once they connect. Once they connect, they kind of sit there and and aren't able to move. Yeah, there's like this friction between the blades that you know, yeah, and and plus, if, ma- if you could slide it down the blade like that, every Jedi would have it. would have no hands. I mean, that's exactly. <laughs> They would have done it. They would have slid it right down and they have no fingers, no nothing, just doom. Um, someone pointed out that a cross guard like that could prevent the kind of uh, dismembering maneuvers that Anakin did to both Dooku and Luke. That, you know, if you, because in, especially in Dooku's case, Anakin kind of came in, wrapped his hands up with Dooku's, and then just brought his saber across the wrist. He flipped the saber and brought it across. Dooku's saber, if it had these guards, it could have blocked that. It could have. It could have. Um, that's that's not bad. I don't see it as a defensive. I see it as more of an offensive choice on the saber. Because basically oh, what, what, uh, you've, yeah. what you've got is a punching dagger. So when you get in close with an enemy and you've got this long blade and you can't maneuver it as well, you can make a quick jab forward you know, perpendicularly and you can throat punch a guy with a mini lightsaber blade. Um, or maybe if you use that, you know, that whole, whole connecting of two lightsabers and it kind of stops it, you can now use that as a fulcrum and rake these blades across your opponent's wrists. Dude, yeah. You know? I, I hope they use it in combat. I hope it's not just flash and yeah, show. I, I, I'll be so, that's the thing. I'll be disappointed. You know, I'm like, you look at that and you go, all right, is that just stylistic BS or are they actually going to give it some kind of functionality? And if, as long as they give it a little functionality, like you're talking, as long as at least one guy gets punched in the head or temple or whatever with that side blade, justified. Yeah. Now, even if they don't, I'm not going to moan too much because it looks awesome. Um, but I just, I just, it's like people say, well, it wouldn't work that way. Like, it's, st- well, why, why would it, because, because Star Wars, 
and hyperspace wouldn't work that way, and blasters wouldn't work that, that way, way, and a lightsaber in the first place wouldn't, wouldn't work, work that, that way. way, and X-wings don't make sounds in space, and it's because because, because Star Wars. Stop overanalyzing it. It looks cool. Yes. Um. Okay. So something that I will overanalyze, and I'm going to turn it to you because obviously you're uh you you are the expert in this. Uh, you know, with obviously your your 501st uh, membership, but new stormtrooper armor, helmets, blasters. There's a lot of changes to that look. With the right connections, you can actually already get the helmet. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I love the new helmet design. It's like this sick, twisted, almost Joker <sighs> smile. It's, it's almost yeah, uh, almost. dude. Um, I do like the new helmets, and that's the thing is that they someone leaked the helmets. The helmets have actually been out there, and folks have been, um, they've been making not making them. They've been designing them. We'll say that they're in the design stage. I know someone at least has has a. Uh, 3D printed a master, and they're they're basically almost ready for production. But we haven't seen the armor, and the armor is one thing that we finally got to get a look at. Not only with um, uh, uh, Boyega's reveal at the very beginning, but also with those quick flashes of uh, of all the stormtroopers lined up, ready to disembark from whatever transport they're on. Um, I like it. The it, armor looks good. The it's armor streamlined. Oh yeah, it's it's nice. It's rounded. It, it it's got that upgrade of okay here's one thing i'm gonna if you if anyone out there who hasn't known this i'm about to shock you at all no there does not exist a movie screen clone trooper armor outfit every single clone trooper armor that you saw in the in the original in the uh prequel trilogy was cgi really really even the ones on uh tamura morrison he was standing there in a green suit, and they basically CGI'd the armor onto him. This is apparent because when we actually started to make these suits of armor, we realized these don't actually fit. Gotcha. <laughs> you can't actually fit someone's head in this helmet. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. These are most definitely armor suits, just like the Stormtrooper armor ones were from the original trilogy. Um, I like them. They look like they're nicely upgraded. They look like, you know, from uh, from a... Uh, um, um, purely selfish reason. They look like they're relatively easy to replicate. And uh, I look forward to doing what I can to try to make sure that by 20, the end of 2016, I'm outfitted in an Episode 7 Stormtrooper outfit. <sighs> Dude, I, I, I just... They, they look they look great. So the armor, the helmets, the blasters. They look like new blasters, too. They do. Um, but uh, I was looking at the, the... There's like one frame that you get a decent look at the mid to the back of the blaster. It kind of looks a bit like the uh, the E11, the the uh, you know the one that was based on the C1 Sterling from World War II. Right. Um, but it looks like a lot of the parts are have been either painted white or they're made of plastic. Different scope on top, but it still looks like that that tube rifle with that folding understock underneath. It looks with that odd butt cap on the end. It, mm-hmm. it looks very similar to the E11. So again, I, I like that it's it's just evolution, but not a complete departure. Yeah. Okay, so when you see Daisy Ridley's character, um yes. she, she looks fantastic. The the sort of She lint- looked very Mara Jade like. She did. Um that whole head wrap with the goggles yeah. thing. That was very Mara Jade. So like um so what I took away from that scene is first of all the whole lived in feel. Her whole speeder bike was wicked awesome, very you know, chunky and blocky. Very different. Very um, different. You know, I, I love that feel. Um obviously she's gotta be on Tatooine and obviously it's still a dump. That's awesome. Um <laughs> Something that never changed. Now, I thought when I was looking at the stills, it looked like she had a gaffy stick strapped to the side of her speeder. 
It, yeah, it, and, it and as soon as you like. mentioned that, I went and took a look at the, some of the stills that were on that that particular scene, and I'm like, no, that's just a staff with a very lightsaber-looking end on it. Hmm, maybe a pike? That's uh, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, it almost looks like um, Darth Maul's saber, except you take that emitter side and you put another butt cap on it, and then you put the the the, the staff on the end of that. I mean, there is something on there that could be a switch. It it could it, it could just simply be a staff or some kind of you know some uh, some electro staff weapon or something like that. But I don't know, man. It could be a lightsaber pike. Oh man, I uh, mm, mm. again the guarded optimism. You know, let, let's let's see what happens. All right, and so the the end of the trailer, of course, with the John Williams swoon of music uh, is obviously, <gasps> obviously the Falcon, which was the money shot, which was you know another thing too is like the Falcon can't fly like that. I'm like, it was just doing a barrel roll. Yeah, it, it was just the camera was weird. It was spinning while doing a barrel roll. That was it. Exactly. It, I mean, it, one guy there was a. I can't remember where I found it, but I found someone who basically locked the camera angle on the Falcon and let the letterbox revolve around. And when you watch it that way, the Falcon's just diving out of the sky. It does a one eighty barrel roll and pulls up. That's all it does. Nothing you don't see in Empire Strikes Back. Meanwhile, um, this camera is making it seem like it's doing backflips and barrel rolls and hairpin turns and everything and flies into a couple of TIE fighters that still shoot green shit. <laughs> yeah, they still shoot the green shit. Um, oh, the other thing about the Falcon, too. So uh, you remember the dish on the Falcon that got sheared off in episode uh, episode six coming out of the second I Death missed Star? this. This was an awesome catch. Um, it was replaced uh, with a newer, squarer model, it seems. so. I know. I know. I dig that. Yeah. Um, IS Destroyer is asking what site has the frames. Um, head to Force.net, uh, Force um, IS Destroyer, and you can find it. It's um, JediNews.co.uk. Yeah. Is, and is, is the main the site. TSA TFA teaser, November 2014, and you should be able to find it. Yeah. Um, it, it's got frame by frame, so you can see it all. But I don't know, like overall, like after seeing this now and the narration and everything else, it's clear to me that, you know, the, you know, obviously it's called, you know, the, the Force Awakens. So it's one of those things that we're, it's obvious we're going to see a massive resurgence of Jedi and Sith coming back in, or, you know, Force users coming back into the galaxy again. That could be it. And I, I think, I think that's what it's going to come down to. Um, and I'm just, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm there, there, there. 20 minute trailer analysis, guys. There. I, what do you expect, though, man? We're we're a Star Wars podcast. When you boil it down to it, the fact that we're Star Wars gaming is nothing. It's, we're a Star Wars podcast. We're a Star, we're, Wars, we're we're, we're a Star Wars podcast. And other people are like, you know, well, man, it didn't really show much. I'm like, it's a teaser trailer one year before the release date. What were you expecting? I think we'll get a lot more information when yeah. a full-blown trailer is released in April at yeah. Celebration and then to the rest of the internet. Exactly. And, and that'll, that'll, be, that'll be it. That'll be it. That will be the probably the first of the the two minute trailers, yeah. where you actually see actors and dialogue and some stuff like that. Yeah, no doubt. Just like the Avengers was a couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. Uh, so. Ah, oh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But if you guys want to see a bunch of fine uh, internet discussion about uh, this trailer and, and many other things related to the podcast and Star Wars in general, of course, stay in the know by following D20 Radio on the Facebooks. Head to D20 Radio and look for D20 Radio, the group. Join it um, for news and, of course, podcast info on a daily basis. You can also follow the GMs on Twitter if you're looking for podcast announcements, announcements um, at D20 Radio or at GM Chris, at GM Phil, or at GM Dave. Uh, we will uh, post and tweet show info and announcements regularly. 
technically at Darth GM. That's cool. Oh yeah, you're at Darth GM. Sorry, you're not at GM yes. still. No. You're at Darth GM. It's all good. At, thank you for the correction. Just just follow at D20 Radio because it retweets everything. <laughs> right. It retweets everybody. Um, good stuff. Well, so recently, Phil, we took the time um, on the show to it, you did to pimp out a really awesome GM resource. Yes. Um, uh, SWRPG Adventures on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome adventure hooks tweeted out with reckless abandon to inspire us. And we are proud to announce that SWRPG Adventures and the Order 66 podcast have joined forces to bring you the juiciest bits from the Twitter feed. So sit back and welcome the very first installment of SWRPG Adventure of the Week. Welcome to Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. This week... One of the PC's uncles has died, and the PC's will inherit his capital ship if they spend one night there. But at zero hundred hours, the ship jumps to hyperspace, going somewhere. This has been Star Wars Adventures of the Week, brought to you by SWRPG Adventures. For more adventure ideas in 140 characters or less... Be sure to follow SWRPG Adventures or D20 Radio on Twitter. And remember, keep adventuring! And there you go. And there you go. So guys, we will be releasing with every episode of the Order 66 podcast an SWRPG Adventure of the Week in one minute or less, 140 characters or less. So be sure to tune in and get the juiciest of the juicies. So, shall we move into the meat of this here show, Phil? I think it's about that time. Let's do it. So it's kind of appropriate as we're coming out of, you know, we're just a few days past American Thanksgiving, um, that this episode is our Thanksgiving episode, right? Right. This is the episode where we give thanks that our games don't have the problems that we're about to talk about. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, you know, we're very thankful for a lot of things here. We're thankful for the Order 66 podcast, our, our amazing listeners. We're thankful for this wicked cool game we get to podcast about, and you know, perhaps most of all, we are thankful that our games, generally speaking, do go well. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes the games, they do not go well. No. Sometimes, in fact, Phil, these good games go bad. And no game is immune, no game is exempt. And many of you, our fine listeners, have experiences at the table that make you scratch your head and just throw your hands up in the air and want to scream. You seek help. You cry out for a new hope, a bright light in the galaxy, a, a gentle advice on how to solve such dilemmas. Now, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Order 66 podcast created a segment devoted to this called When Good Games Go Bad. It's been a while since we've done one, and we've had a few listener-submitted WGGB requests pile up, and it is high time, past time, that we tear into them. So grab your cold turkey legs, Gamer Nation. Pour yourself a hot cup of candied yams and sit by the fire 
as the Order 66 podcast tackles a trove of when good games go bad tonight. There is a great disturbance in the force. I got a bad feeling about this. You must unlearn what you have learned. When good games go bad. has been a while since we busted this out, hasn't it? It has. And we've got some good WGBs to go through, um, one of which is exceedingly lengthy, um, and we'll we'll take it as it comes. Uh, it was, what, five pages long, I think? Um, um, yes. <laughs> so we, we paraphrased... Which really spurned this whole discussion of doing a show devoted to uh, WGB anyway. I know. It's, this is not the first time we've gotten a five-page long you know, request because you know our, our fine listeners. It's like, okay, let me tell you everything that happened, and then we'll typically boil that down into a few paragraphs. You know, paraphrasing. But there was so much wrong. <laughs> Start at the beginning. Well, first the world was created, and then the dinosaurs came, but yeah. then they got fat and died out and became oil for the Arabs. <laughs> Love that movie. Um, Yes, so we normally paraphrase fat past that, but that this last one we got was from from the very beginning to the very end. There was so much awful that yeah. it, it was really hard to paraphrase. But um, we've had a few wrecked up. So tonight for our meat discussion, yeah, we are going to dig into these. We're going to talk about some horror stories uh, that some of our listeners have submitted, and talk about some common problems with GMing and the system itself, and possibly some ways to alleviate them. So, um. Gosh, what do you do? You, do you want to do? You want to go through the first one, Phil, and just head right into it? Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll uh, read this one off. This one isn't that long. Uh, comes to us from uh, longtime listener Strongarm eighty uh, five. Greetings. I recently wrapped up the Jewel of Yavin and had a fun time with it. I had a new player join my group a few weeks ago. He and another PC were breaking into a garage owned by the Hut Cartel to steal a cloud car that was being prepared for Carbine a Hut Cartel-sponsored racer, in the Cloud Car Grand Prix. Um, at this point, I would like to point out that if anyone hasn't played the Jewel of Yavin, possible spoilers ahead. Thank you. Um, he was caught, the PC, and during the ensuing struggle, he threw his combat knife at one of the gangsters and missed as he was trying to escape down a hallway. The PC got captured along the way, and the Hut gangster naturally took his gear when they took him prisoner. The Hutt's gangsters confiscated the PC's gear while he was unconscious and used his encrypted comlink to contact the rest of the party and hold him for ransom. The other PCs came back and mounted a rescue operation and saved him, but the gangsters didn't bother picking up his measly 25-credit combat knife, so he didn't get his knife back. He wanted that knife back so badly that he went back to look for it rather than buy a new one. He went back alone in a territory still filled by hut gangsters who had just captured him less than 24 hours ago, and were still down there. Naturally, the PC got captured again by the same hut gang, and this time they tortured him, and the PCs had to go back and rescue him a second time. After the rescue, he felt it was worth it because he got his knife back. So after seeing how ungrateful this player was, after the second rescue, the party decided never to go back and save him again if anything else happened to him in the future. 
any advice on how to handle situations like this in in the future? Thanks, and I will never listen. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. This this is kind of interesting. Um, I really feel like this could have been solved by one simple, already existing game mechanic. What is that? At the time when the player asked, Hey, is my 25-credit combat knife in there? The GM should have put his fingertip on one of the light side destiny points and said, I don't know. Is, is it? it? Yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of... That, it, yeah. But, but... I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to dog on the player too much for wanting to get his combat knife back as long as it was played out in good RP. And we don't really sure. we don't really know that from the story. I mean, mm. what what is the value of small ab- objects like that for characters? Obviously, his, uh, the other party members didn't seem to think it was that important. But, you know, if, if you're playing a character right, it could be really, you know, it's like, I won't leave Vera behind, you know, that kind of... <laughs> this is the knife that killed the man that killed my mama. Yeah, I mean that's that's you know if if you have a name for it and you like it and it's yours, it's like uh, you know or just you know you know he had my knife. I had to get my knife back. You know, I can see that as like the the, the tagline of, of of a grizzled action movie. You know, after the hero sure. returns and busts up all the bad guys. Whoa, you came back. He had my knife. You know, I mean that kind of. <laughs> I, I could see having fun with this, but sure. I think I don't think that's the problem. I think the real problem here for me, is the fact that this player went by himself to do this. And, you know, you, Strongarm, um, and it's not a bad idea as a GM, use that scene to jump him. Mm. Phil, that could have been a moment to bring the group together as they mount a rescue op, right? But it sounds, based on the reaction, that the group saw it as more of a chore, and that really wasn't helped by the fact that the player wasn't very apologetic about it. And and that's kind of the other problem, too, is that the p- player needs to realize that he kind of derailed the entire game for his wanting to go back and get the get this knife. The rest of the players had to come rescue him, and he just brushed – it sounds like he just brushed it off. It's like, oh, yeah, I made the adventure happen. Nah. Well, yeah, um, and these situations happen, right? Um, our players right. are going to derail our planned game, but right. as as a GM, I think there are ways to work that into the narrative and to make this whole task fun for the group and not a chore. Right. And, and okay, so that's this, the trick. That's the trick. Now this leads to some deeper questions as well that I'm going to pose to you, man. Splitting okay. the party. <laughs> okay. All right. Is it a good idea? Can be if it's done right. If it's done right. Now, as a GM, can you even prevent it from happening when it's player-created like that? I mean, if one PC no. insists that he's going somewhere and the rest of the party is like, nope, what can you do? Well, all right. Um, again, it all goes along with the whole, um, you know, just spend a destiny point and find it. You could have just let him get the knife. Say, so, okay, yeah, you go, back, you go back and get it. <laughs> You go back, you get the knife. Congratulations, it's still lying there. Maybe no one saw it. Maybe it bounced off and is behind a barrel. You go back, you find the knife. You know, you, you know, give him... Don't even make him roll. Or if you do make him roll, make sure that you spend like threat and despair on just annoying, interesting situations that kind of put him at a disadvantage later on. Strain, or maybe the act of doing so made him late to meet up with the rest of the party, and now he's overstressed and suffering setbacks or whatnot, or, or, or upgrades to his difficulties, or something like that. Or let him spend um, a destiny point, you know? I... Exactly, exactly. Just you, you, you spend a destiny point, you find the knife. Great, congratulations, you found it. Let's move on with the adventure. 
But it sounds like the GM like chose to jump him and have him be captured, so he was comfortable with the adventure going in that direction. Sure. But this seems like the players weren't on board. No, and maybe if the players were brought on board through some different means, they would have had been okay to go back and get the knife. They talk about um, you know doing some research or 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 find working against the hut cartels and uh, and and that cloud car for carbine. Um, maybe they could find out some information. You know, maybe they could notice a critical piece of intel uh, while he's being held captive. Says, "Hey, if we go back for the knife, we can research on this." I found out that they had some they had some advanced uh, mappings of the the race route. You know, totally, totally. Maybe you're you know while he was in there, you know, getting worked over and beat up, he noticed a a treasure trove, a heist target, maybe an incredibly valuable piece of object dart that was in the cartel's possession. Or a war chest of erodium ingots or, you know, something like that. Um, Right. uh, Maybe, maybe another, maybe another prisoner. Yeah. That's valuable to the party at large. large. If they're, if they're working in the rebellion or they're sympathetic to it, maybe there's a rebel, you know, uh, a a rebel leader that's being held there for ransom. And now they have a moral obligation to go rescue this guy. Or someone who is important to one of the PC's obligation sources. Oh, that's even better. Um, then you use it as a way to get rid of obligation as well. Exactly. And then you've got multiple player buy-in. Because if one player is like, I'm doing this, the rest are like, no, that sucks. If two players are like, okay, let's do this, that's a bit more palatable. Um, especially if it's for a noble reason like obligation. Like, you know, okay, dude, this is my mentor, or I owe this guy. Or, or dude, if, if I rescue this guy, I can clear a bunch of debt. The rest of the party will kind of be like, oh, okay, 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 you're right, let's go do it. <laughs> Ooh, you're going to buy down a mechanic that causes us strain threshold loss? Let's do that. Yeah, no kidding. Um, The point is, as a GM, Strongarm, you forced a party split. Not by allowing the player to get his knife back, but by jumping him. Okay, That That was your call. And that's a perfectly acceptable call, but when you make that call, you've got to then find an in-game reason through the use of obligation, through the use of a character hook or another adventure hook to get the rest of the party's buy-in to want to go do this. More than just, God, we got to rescue dumbass, okay? Um, uh, and, and GMs, strong arm, or anyone who finds themselves presented with this situation... Do not be afraid to call a five or ten minute break and take a look at the adventure and think, okay, how can I how can I make this work? Yes, yes. You know, take a second, look over obligations, look over what you got because this is stuff that we just came up with spitballing it right now, but might not be appropriate to your adventure. If you take five minutes, take ten minutes, go into a side room, say, hang on, guys, I'm gonna go think about a few things. I'll be right back, chill out, and head off into the other room. Think about how you can get the other players involved. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that one's pretty much wrapped up. Uh, do we want to move on to another sad tale? Yeah. So next up, we have this, uh, this, this WGGB emailed in by Deuterium Ice, and we are paraphrasing this slightly. We did email him a response at the time because it was time sensitive for him um, sure. before his next session. I remember this one. But this is a story worth sharing with any player of the system who's been running Star Wars across multiple systems, and he, he writes this. He says, GMs little background first. I GM a game that had been okay for a long while, but under Saga Edition, I'd really let it get out of hand. Uh, 
when we switched back then though, we switched to edge with a clean break and I ran the beginner box adventure, then long arm of the hut and then the adventure in the GM screen. And then I was fortunate enough to get beyond the rim and ran that. And through this, the group uh, did rack up an impressive amount of criticals against them before I kind of became tired of maiming them and started to use alternate methods to spend massive advantage and triumph. Uh, Nice. (laughs) Good for you, man. That's a very hard lesson for a GM to learn actually. Um, so this last time, I ran my own adventure, and to make it take longer than just one session, I padded it with the modular bar scene from Sons of Fortune. All right. Very cool. Very cool scene. Um, spoilers for this scene, if you are listening and have not read it or played it. Um, so the party's tech had his obligation trigger three sessions in a row, and I set this venture up because of it, sort of to show obligations coming back to haunt people. I'd also offered to let the players change out characters at this point, and one of them did. So the problem session. Session started late due to work getting slightly in the way. The initial blackmailing in the scene went well, and the group acted decently. Uh, the party was to get some information on a rarely run route. Neither of the locals uh, uh, were where the players were, so a large sum of semi-illegal equipment could be smuggled aboard a large freighter such as the, the venerable Action 6. Um, the intent was a simple two-part mission with a side tour in between. Find where to get info, collect recon on where the info is, then go get the info. Now, the face of the party whose player most of the time had his nose in a trade paperback comic that he'd taken from my bookcase without asking. Yeah, I know, right? Um, decided that he wanted to put the shipment together himself, to which I said, sure, and outlined the difficulties involved, to which he, was ro- he rolled and was disappointed that he didn't succeed at all, even to the point of a despair. The rest of the group wasn't faring much better, and they retired to a bar. Um, and the face had his nose in the next book in the series, and things go sideways as that mini-adventure is supposed to. And the encounter just went poorly. One, the one player, uh, the one playing a new character was the one that the chip was dropped in her pocket in that scene, in, in that modular encounter, um, and then was accused of trying to steal it. She did a deception check, trying to pull that, you know, but honey, you gave that to me. Um, and she rolls a despair, <laughs> then proceeded after that to get into a fight with the trailing security. Once the first blaster round gets fired, the face perks up and figures out a fight's going on. Um, the hitter and the tech both had been actively trying to cool things down, but their abilities don't run that way. The players chose a side and shot at the security guards, who then returned fire on them and the two others in the scene. Players end up losing badly. One down to wounds, one down to stun, one just up from wounds, and one who survived a standing hit from an enraged Ronto. Mm. Uh, the two security guards were down to wounds, and the original two robbers were still up and virtually undamaged. Because I didn't want the next session to be the players being in jail, I decided to have the thieves grab the data chip and hightail it, and the players limp back to their ship. Right after they're back to the ship, the one player in the new, the one playing the new character says, well, that's where we should end it tonight, when we had about an hour left before the first person even had to start thinking about leaving. At that point, I was fairly perturbed and said, no, we got a few things we have to finish up that won't, wouldn't take long, and we role-played them out, but now I'm watching the clock. And at the very end of the night, the new character tells the face that it's his fault for getting the whole party into the fight because he wasn't paying attention. I'm trying to decide what to do here. Obviously, I need to sit them down and have the talk with them. I feel bad about this as it is. I mean, I'm the GM. There's been some good advice on how to deal with problem players, but I'm at a loss for what to do. I mean, what should this talk entail? Should I bother? Should I wind the group down? Um, all right. Last question first. Yes, you should bother. <laughs> um, I, I guess uh, one of the things also to take away from this is that despairs and failures happen. They just do. They do. That's the whole point of the dice system. They're not just there to threaten you in case the, you know, here's what you could roll. No, no, the, you will roll them and you will have your plot lines disrupted by the fact that they do fail and they, they do have despairs if you let them, but don't let them happen. 
published module or not, your players can fail in certain scenes. And if they do that, you need to be ready for it. Yeah. Um, don't, you know, we've said it on the show and GMs have said it and developers have said it. Do not let a failed role or rather do not have your plotline advancement hang on a successful role. That's don't. Absolutely correct. If, if failure takes them or the game to a place you don't want them to be, like in jail, they shouldn't be rolling in that scene. Right. Now, have them, you know, give them complications. Um, be comfortable in the fact that, and these happen, I've seen it happen, where PCs will fail every check, every encounter. I've had game sessions where it was despair night, where every time a red <laughs> die was rolled, at least a despair came up. Every single time. They're going to happen. So you need to plan for that. What to do? What is your plan? Um, you know, get, have them, you know, if they roll a despair or they, they fail the rolls, give them an out, but have it cost obligation. Yeah. You know, you can advance the plot line. It's just going to cost you a little obligation from this guy who has a transport or has the information or has an information broken and says, hey, yeah, I can give you this information, but you're going to owe me. Well, it's like and the piece can be like, oh, can I roll for it? And like, no, you can take the obligation or you can not move on the adventure. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, yeah, that's it. It's like, but you said earlier, like precisely, no check or scene should be success required to move the story yes. along. All right. successful checks should do is make things easier on the PCs. Yup. That's, that's it. But I don't know. I think, I think he may have had a deeper problem here, Phil. Um, All right. A, a problem player who just wasn't interested in taking part in the game. Yeah, that leads us to the first half of the quote. First half of the problem that when we got this, I'm like, uh, okay, here's well, a bigger issue it's a than big, it's, it's failures a, and despairs. It's, it's a much bigger issue. And so I have to ask you: if you have scenes that hinge on that character's abilities and they're not paying attention, because it sounds like if if the face had been paying attention, he might have been able to defuse this before it started. What yep. do what do you do as a GM? I've had this problem myself. I've had a player who was supposedly really into the game, but every time I looked over at her, she was playing Jeweled on her phone. Um, the best thing you can do is, and, and this is what eventually I ended up doing, um, take a quick 10-minute break. We, you know, I've, I've mentioned it before. Uh, pull the player aside. Saying, "Are you not interested? Are you you know you're missing out on the game? The the party kind of needs you. Uh, are 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 you into this? Are are or are we? You know, or have you lost interest in the game? And so, and honestly, sometimes that happens. It it does. Um, it's happened to me. I've I've been in games and I've gotten to the point where like you know what I just don't care about this game anymore. So I'm gonna bow out. But back in episode 24, Kung Pao Chicken, um, Chris and I talked about one of the key features of the system that it doesn't work unless you have active engagement by everybody. Yeah, you can't hide out or mail it in as easy in, as you could in other systems. Yeah. Um, you yeah. Know, what do you think, Chris? Well, I think you're dead on. And as the GM, it's your responsibility to get players engaged and not right. just not let them just not pay attention. Um, that, that's a very hard thing to do. I mean, if the dude's reading a freaking trade paperback or playing on his phone during the session, it's, I mean, you got you got to stop things down and pull them aside, have a sidebar talk and be like, are you, are you not interested? I mean, what? Now, 
I will let you know. I, I will let them have distractions because I'm I'm the kind of person who, where if I'm sitting there, I need to be doing something. And and actually, Chris, you saw this when I came to ReaperCon. Um, we were running the game. You were running your game. Um, you were drawing. I mean, I was sitting there, and I, but I had my sketchbook out. I was drawing. I was drawing my guy, my my Gand. Yeah, but and so but, I mean, and and you know, distractions happen. You know, but at least you know, if, if the PC is doing something that sort of enhances the game, you know, they're they're doing artwork, or or maybe they're they're they're, they're like looking through a book to try to find like some some rule or or, or something. Um, you know, looking up uh, looking up stats, looking up things like that. That's going to happen just as long as they're not doing it the whole damn time. Yeah, and at the very least, you know, pay attention. We need to. Now, the other thing I can I can piece of advice I can give any GM who wants to get a player engaged if they're not paying attention, yeah, a- attack his character. Oh, immediately. I mean, have have someone. I mean, even if it's not a physical attack, have someone get in his face. Okay. Uh huh. Even if he's not involved in the scene, and let's say a bar fight breaks out, somebody doesn't like the look of his face and decides to, you know, throw a bar stool at him or something like that. I, I promise you, you get in the player's face and bring his character into the scene, it will engage the player. They'll put down. Twilight the- married my sister. Punch, <laughs> punch. I mean, I mean, it'll it'll do that. At the very least, you got somebody in his face screaming. It doesn't have to devolve into combat, but you know. At the very least, it forces him to 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 get engaged. Players right. t- players tend to, in my experience, drift off when they don't see the need for their character in the immediate scene. Yeah, and you know sometimes their character is sorely needed, but they just don't see it. Well, make them see it by getting in their face. Throw throw threat at them, whether that be social threat or or combat threat. Unless, unless going back to last episode. They've made this highly specialized, very specific character build, and they literally can't do anything in the scene. Then that's just bringing up that whole other thing that we brought up in the uh, last question last week, uh, a couple weekends ago, too, which is you made this character. If you're not having fun with this character and you're realizing now that your highly specialized character is not good in 60% of the encounters that this game is going to have, would you like to rebuild them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's. But, and he, it sounds like he also gave his players that opportunity. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's. No, there's nothing wrong with having a reset button for your group, um, and and most most any game can be salvaged by allowing that. And I've I've actually had this happen myself uh, in in the saga days where I sat there and went, guys, is this working out? You know, or or this new this this new book is out and it fits your thing better. Do you want to reset? Do you want to fix this? Do you want to rebuild? Folks, do we want to save the theme of the campaign but use different characters? What do you want to do? Because you as a GM, you have a story that you're trying to tell. But if the characters aren't in into it, try to find out why or, or try to find out a way, a compromise to get like, okay, this is the kind of adventure I'm planning to run. These are the type of these are the types of characters that would probably be really good for it. Who wants to play what? Yeah. And the, now when when one player is clearly not into whatever it is you're doing, I mean that's kind of what we've been talking about. Expanding, yeah. expanding on what you just said, Phil. If you have an entire group of players that's really not digging what you're doing, you need to rethink what you're doing. Exactly. I mean, and I've 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 unfortunately been in games where the GM has has done this, and like you know the the usually it happened in D anD D. We went in there with a very specific mindset of what we wanted, and the GM decides he wants to be Tolkien, and he's reading eighteen pages of backstory and trying to get us into a game of political intrigue. And it's like, well, we made a group of orc barbarians. Uh, we want to go hit stuff. Yep. Um, you know, and <laughs> 
So you have to be cognizant. Me, it was uh, World of Darkness. Oh dear, no, that that could easily happen in in, in World of Darkness. Yeah, the G, but in this one, the GM let the plot happen organically, meaning that unless the PCs could figure out what it is to go and get involved in the plot, the plot kept happening without our involvement, and we were just basically doing side quests and shopping trips and and whatever we could find, and completely missing out on the main plot. That's, I'm like, you know that's, what? That's, I'm not happy with your style, so I'm out. That's really lazy GMing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm going to tell my story whether you're there or not. What the F is the point of that? Anyway, I don't think that's our issue here, but it's just something no, worth talking know. about. Now, it's also clear to me that he had some players, at least one, that new player, get pissed off by all this. I mean, right. when a player demands to wrap up early, that's what that means. They're pissed. <laughs> yep, they're done. Um. They have things to do that they feel are now more important than this game. Uh, that player deserves some one-on-one time. Mm. They need reassurance from you that you're not going to let this happen again. Yeah. Um, you need to have a serious conversation with them and be like, you know, I, I saw that. Were, I mean, uh, were you, I, I understand you were, you were really upset by the game. Talk to me about it. What upset you? And I, I want to I make sure that doesn't happen again. What, what happened? And, and talk to them about it. I would like to fix this problem. Yes. How can we fix this problem? How can we fix this problem? Um... So, I mean, you said you answered his last question first, dude. Should you bother? Yeah, um, absolutely should. The fact that he even asked that question, though, leads me to think he's kind of unhappy himself. That or he's a little, at least a little demoralized. Yeah. Um, I mean, you ha- I've, I've had sessions like that. I've had sessions where, you know, you, you go home after the game, after you've packed up all your books and you lug your 20-pound book bag up the flight of stairs to your second-story apartment and you heft it down onto the table and watch the table crack slightly and you flump into the excessively old and completely worn-out uh, easy chair and you just think to yourself, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, if it, I, I would, But y- y- you're going to have those. GMs out there, you know it's going to happen. And you've had them. I know you have. Sessions where everything was just off. The trick is, yeah. is, you come back, you try again, you do harder the next time. And if the second time it happens again, then you need to start seriously thinking about going, okay, what is the issue here? Yeah, um, and, and every time that's happened for me, the issues usually come down to one problem player. And yeah. we, and we just don't invite them back to the next session, and the problem yeah. solves itself. And that, that, that tends to be it. Um, funny that. Funny that. Yeah, I got a good story about that. If we if we have time for post show, I'll share it with you. Um, okay. But so, uh, uh, what's the note I need to make? Oh, oh, uh, 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 say ask about uh, Chris's non-human D and D game. Non-human D and D. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. I was proud of that one. It went for a while. It was pretty fun. All right. Well, we got one last one. And this is the one that really spurned the whole situation to begin with. And this is the one that's probably going to take the longest to answer. It's a doozy. Austin Catan, our archivist, has had a long-awaited When Good Games Go Bad segment. And it's quite a lengthy one, as I mentioned. Uh, it is filled with more stuff not to do than we can shake a stick at. He emailed us, and we've paraphrased it just a smidge. And due to its length, we'll be pausing mid-story to discuss things as they come up with this one. Um, Chris, you want me to dive into this? Hey, man, have at it. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Uh, when good games go bad is the only way to accurately describe the gaming events of several weeks ago. 
While I tend to be one of those generous nature and think that the GM was having a bad day, several have argued that he had a personal philosophy that was counter to what Edge of the Empire was designed to do. Rather than drag out my personal analysis, I will cut to the scene and as the GM said it. You are in a junkyard. You are going to make some money. That was about the entire setup. Not a lot of fancy buildup or anything. Just that. The Deveronian trader clearly was familiar with such things. His career had been built out of a hundred hustles of similar effect. Talk some crazy junk dealer out of parts he didn't know enough about, find some interested third party, and after paying off the junk dealer, make a tidy profit for his works. As he approached the junk dealer to negotiate down the cost of rummaging through the junk man's treasure trove, his spiel was shot down by the man's words. If you find something good and can make something work of it, I'll pay you, the junk man said curtly. The red-skinned trader would have turned redder if his face had been able. This was a deal too good to be true, and certainly those things never turned out well in his world. He made mention of this to the rest of the group, yet only the ex-soldier seemed to take notice. The rest seemed eager to romp through the junk with reckless abandon. This didn't stop the Deveronian from being in his element. He had sharp eyes for glistening goodies among the trash, and in short order, with the aid of the Wookiee mechanic, the ex-imperial scout, and the homeless Twi'lek child they'd managed to find enough of a craft that they could start cobbling together a fighter craft. Okay, so first break. This should have immediately put the party on edge. Yeah. Where's the conflict here? (laughs) Where's the story? I mean, this is Star Wars, right? I'm, I'm trying to get where the conflict or cinema is in finding something good to make and or sell in a trash dump. Right. Unless there's specifically something in there that's supposed to kick off the storyline. Sure, but, you know, it's like, what? what's the group's purpose here? I mean, they just, we're, we're going to make us some money. So your session like is... digging in a junkyard and playing American uh, pickers? I mean, I mean, oh, God, we, we should totally license that RPG. I bet it would be cheap. Seriously. American <laughs> pickers. Oh, man. American pickers RPG. Oh, God. So, but that's the thing. What is the meta plot here? The players are being drawn into, and how how does this scene serve the story that needs to be at least hinted at? And right. it it sounds like it, you know. So, so I mean, you know, a couple players realize, okay, th- this is not going to be roses. All right, something's going to go. Ha- something's so, something's fishy here. All right. Yeah. But we're, um, but I'm, I'm 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 already with this setup. I'm like, I don't like where this is going. So. The ex-soldier, dissatisfied with scouring through old droid parts and wrecked vessels, moved on to what he thought was greener pastures. The maze of parts was a troublesome obstacle, so like any good soldier, he set upwards to scout out the lay of the land. He climbed up on the debris. It should have been tricky, but for some reason it seemed like the GM wanted to play it really rough. Without explanation, the check was pushed to one of the potential despair. With climbing in hand and considerable skills, however, the soldier would not be daunted. Multiple successes with advantage, but despair as well. The GM's interpretation was, you make it to the top of the hill, only to fall down again and hurt yourself in the process. Take a wound. So he (sighs) climbs the top of a junk pile, succeeds, but rolls a despair, and so he falls to the bottom and takes a wound. My first question is, what... What possible threat could have come out of climbing this junk pile? 
What? Yeah. So why was the check upgraded first and foremost? I mean, if, if it's treacherous and oh, oh no, you broke your leg or something, that's fine. Real, but real. the only reason a GM should be upgrading the difficulty of this check is if he wants there to be something interesting to happen if the despair is rolled. Something a lot more interesting than you fall down and take a wound. I mean, that's that's kind of it. And I mean, I think I think your GM needs to go listen to episode ten, Triumphant Despair, um, and then listen to it again. Um, so everything you said is correct, Phil, but even if there was a meaningful reason to even make a role for this, which I'm going to come to in a minute, this is the number one issue that every GM needs to remember. If you succeeded, then you succeeded. Despair or no, at the very least, you should have gotten to the top of the heap. Maybe the despair gives him a wound or something, sure, or the loss of equipment, okay? Um... Something goes caroling down, and it creates a, a, a an avalanche of debris. You're still on top of the pile, yeah. but now you've got all this junk that's raining down on everybody else. It's like you succeeded. Okay, you succeeded. You're up there, but something bad happened as a result. Um, I'm also confused by the upgrade, like you say, with no, with no explanation. Um, unless it's an opposed check, difficulty dice should be explained as they are pushed forward. I mean, I just... Mean- Period. Did the PC party roll entirely all dark side points at the beginning of the game, and he's just trying to find reasons to to spend them? I mean, but, but even though I got, I got, I mean, it's like this is this is very D twenty mindset. Why is this player making a roll? Well, because you got to make a roll for everything you do. Bullshit. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. If 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 if, if there's no cinematic action going on, and wh- why is this guy making a roll to climb to the top of a junk pile? Especially if he's skilled at it. I mean, I mean, he's got climbing gear. What, what, what's what's the issue here? Why are you making him roll? What, what's what's the downside of failure on this? What's the positive side of success? Why? It, it's just it's, he gets there. Move the story along. What's the point of the roll? I don't. I don't. Right. I don't. I don't understand. <sighs> Even, uh, moving on. Eventually. Through a boosted scan for parts, he managed to conjure a ship weapon system out of the debris nearby. Meanwhile, a, tri- a Twi'lek child with little experience and a hand scanner procured an almost functional droid out of her search. Utilizing a uh, light-lifting operations utility droid, also known as Lloyd, <laughs> the group managed to shove enough of the scrap together to start the process of cobbling together a working fighter craft. Several mechanics rolls later, and hours of in-game time, there was an organized collection of framework for the ship, minus much of the hull plating, most of which was inside their van, a repurposed APC with a magnetic sign on the side. Okay, why multiple checks, first of all? Um, I mean, I understand if you want to make a mechanics check for them to cobble together something useful, but make it a check that, you know, it takes hours of time. Well, that should be determined by the amount of advantage they roll or threat they roll, okay, on such a check. Yeah. Um, that should, I mean, I mean, that's kind of called out in the book. So, I mean, there is that going on, but gosh, this sure sounds like a lot of fun. I'm just, wow. What, what action, what cinema I'm, oh, uh, okay. Well, we're getting to that. Oh, okay. Okay. Suddenly pirates, weekway pirates everywhere. Wait, what? (laughs) It'd have been nice to hear that they were riding on skiffs that looked like they'd been put together for a local reenactment of some post-apocalyptic holovid decked out like gangsters from a Mad Max movie, but all the players got were weekway pirates on skiffs. We're here for all your stuff, they said, evoking none of the images of hardened pirates looking for a bounty. 
The Deveronian, eager to fend off conflict, took a shot at misdirection. He found something shiny and decided to toss it to them, adding, You'll never get our diamond! lobbing it into the distant debris. <laughs> the GM decided that these weren't your average trash-hungry mooks. These were sharp-eyed pirates with formidable skills at sussing out treasure in a junkyard. The difficulty set at four purples and a setback unexplained. Oh my god! The Deveronian decided to give it a go. He was a deceptive bastard. What could he lose? Four successes with multiple advantage. Certainly that would create a ruckus as greedy pirates threw themselves bodily at heaps of trash looking for a valuable gem. A couple of guys glanced sideways for a second but never even bothered to take their guns away from the party. The result may have, been a wa- may have well have been a wash. The baddies were looking for trouble, despite common sense. They didn't want treasure, apparently, despite their orders for the same. They wanted blood. I, 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 I don't even... Look, I can't see a squad of stormtroopers falling for the diamond in the rough gag, okay? But that's because they're stormtroopers and they don't care about diamonds. They have a mission and they have imperial conditioning. Maybe, hey, maybe these pirates weren't pirates. Maybe they were hitmen, okay? Maybe, yeah, maybe. They, maybe they had a mission, too. But I'm sorry success with multiple advantage on a freaking daunting difficulty, okay? With a setback. With a setback? For no explanation. For no explanation whatsoever. Um, Maybe the sun was in their eyes. I don't know. I, 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 that should have at least given the, them pause, a boost eye for the PCs, a surprise round, something. When, when a player gives a suggestion that's creative, okay, it should be rewarded. Especially when it's a successful check. Right. He succeeded on a check and it had no impact on the game. You shouldn't have allowed him to make the check if that was the case. And apparently these Weequay thugs have willpowers of four. Because that's the only reason I can think of why this guy's deception check was at daunting difficulty, which is normally an opposed check. And yeah, th- I mean, th- this is where I would expect to see some upgrades, okay? I, w- I want to see some red dice in the pool because it's an opposed check, and they may have some ranks, okay, in discipline or cool. I, I, And, and why isn't the difficulty explained? Yeah. Uh, and th- again, we're, th- that's, that's another problem that we've seen in this story. It's just, oh, it is what it is. No, you push for the dice and you say, well, this is kind of why. And, and oh, the sun's in your eyes as you slide forward the setback. You know? Right. Explain it. <sighs> so the PCs made a mad dash for the only shelter they could find, the van, because apparently the piles of recent salvage don't qualify as cover, nor did the jutting mounds of debris that swaddled them. <laughs> The soldier, true to form, ran towards the baddies to get it in with the range band of his weapon, a blaster pistol, so he could actually target the bad guys. It seemed like a suicidal move with all the other non-existent cover everywhere, but hard times and desperate measures. Within the APCs, most of the others had only narrow slits to allow the enemy to shoot at them, and surely the enemy would think twice about targeting them. The scout stopped at the passenger door to what he could... When, um, Sorry, the scout stopped at the passenger door to do what he could do to get cover. Was he using the door as cover? No one really knows, but it would make sense. A strong-armed pirate decided to lob grenades. Now at the open door, (laughs) or at the soldier charging right at them, but instead towards the narrow window slits. The GM set the difficulty of the check to average. Slit less than an eighth of the silhouette of a human being and easier to target for some reason. Miracle of miracles, the throw only does minor damage to the Wookiee. Okay, if you're going to be playing the game, you are the GM, at least follow the rules. 
Um, right. I mean, yes, a throwing grenade could very well have an average difficulty if you're at, you know, the appropriate range. Medium uh, range, Which yeah. is medium range. I don't know how you're going to throw a grenade at medium range um, because you can't. Uh, uh, it said strong-armed. Uh, uh, okay, well, it's a strong-armed. Okay, okay, uh, that's entirely possible. And that could give you your two. But at the same time, that qualifies as improved cover. It's in the rules. That's an automatic two-setback die to the difficulty, period. Yep. What? The scout, apparently concealed, yet not getting any bonuses for cover, shoots at a person <laughs> who is the leader of the pirates. How the players don't know. He's just obviously the leader. The scout's role involves a triumph, which, for some reason, always means a critical hit. But somehow, the critical hit, which cripples his foot, only manages to scratch him. The leader must be some nigh impregn- in some nigh-impregnable armor. Out of character, apparently all of those rumors of adamantium mines on, on Weequay are true. GM's out-of-character response to this, you guys were killing my bad guys too fast. Mental note, it's the GM versus the players. Youch. You know, this sounds a lot like a newbie GM. It does. Okay, and and that's and maybe that's the issue here. But this is another problem, and and this is something for that even experienced GMs can fall prey to, not right. being prepared for your players gimping the encounter like a flash, because it happens, especially in this system, and that's not a bad thing because I guarantee you the inverse will happen too. Okay. <laughs> Nope. Yeah, but as a GM, I thought this would be an easy encounter. Why are all my PCs down? Down. Oh my god. Or, or you know, it's one of those things that. Oh my god. They, I, I built this tough encounter, and they got some great rolls, and they just blew through it. It happens. And as a GM, you have to have the creativity to roll with it. You know, don't just make your people invulnerable or fudge the numbers. Have reinforcements show up. Um, maybe. Maybe letting them beat through the encounter and then face another challenge after you take a 10-minute break to think about it, to use your excellent suggestion from earlier, Phil. Right. Um, anything but just shoving suspension of disbelief in the trash can. Good God. Unbelievable. Uh, anyway, the upfront soldier, using his battle discipline and consummate, fi- uh, consummate fighting skills, put some hurt on a few baddies who may have well had some minions scrawled over their heads for all the description <laughs> the players had been given of them, and is critically injured by a relentless stream of non-minion-level accuracy and firepower. He shouts for his companions, start the van so we can get the heck out of here. Several inglorious rounds later, most of the crew is critically injured or unconscious, hit by shots which would impress a world-class sniper. The Twi'lek child wants to use stealth to sneak through the garbage and get a drop on some of the baddies, but is told by the GM, you really can't do anything. End of her importance as to what is going on. It felt like she was being told, you weren't important enough to the story, just sit in the corner when the fighting's going on. I... Well, I, I don't. First of all, ne- just because the GM's not descriptive, don't assume that you're fighting minions. Okay, just because they're not descriptive. Right. Um, additionally, a whole group of minions together is pretty. Is actually worse than a nemesis when it comes to his <laughs> dice rolls in most cases. Seriously. But I, I don't know. Like so far, and in fact, in this whole tale, which we're not even finished with yet, nope. what he says last, the one thing that pisses me off the most is putting a player on the sidelines like that. No kidding. That is the worst thing you can ever do as a GM. Ever. I just... Damn it, this is a game of yes and. Yeah. Let her make the role. Maybe make the difficulty high, or there are consequences, but you let the player do whatever they want. And you you roll with it. (laughs) 
reward it's, player you suggestions. Think the PCs coming up with it. That's admittedly that's your problem. You know, you you you're you're putting the PCs in this situation. This has to be a newbie GM. This has to be a newbie GM or someone who's literally just come up through the ranks of nothing but Pathfinder. And not just Pathfinder, but like Pathfinder competitive play. <laughs> oh, that's unnecessarily cruel. I like Pathfinder. <laughs> I do too, but some of those some of the uh some of the more adamant I only play Pathfinder and I only play licensed Pathfinder and I only do this because I want to do this and blah 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 blah. I'm like, okay. Anyway, <laughs> I know it, it was honestly, uh, honestly, in this day and age, that's like the harshest thing I could come up with. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, uh, you know, I only play 4E. Exactly. I only play 4E and, and, and like, you know, official uh, RPGA 4E. Yeah, for, there you go. For, that's for, probably for, a better I mean, one. I had a dude once rail at me that like he only plays GURPS. That's all he's ever going to play. Because <laughs> apparently he liked calculus. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> So the Deveronian, in a last-ditch effort to put some scare into the baddies, reaches for the intercom system on his APC and shouts, It's looking bad, folks! Release the Rancor! (laughs) And follows it up with a guttural growl he learned from actually spending time with the nasty beasts. And here we go again, because the GM sets the difficulty at ridiculously hard and even adds some unexplained setbacks and potential for despair, because why the hell not? Um, all right, I'll, I'll get to my comments about this in a second. The Deveronian didn't get where he was without talking, taking crazy risks, so he gives it all his all. A roll with four successes and a single threat. Wow. Expecting the enemy to cower silently or flee in fear, the players are shocked to discover the default reaction of a weak way to a potential rancor attack is to draw attention to oneself by standing in place and firing blindly ahead. The Deveronian's voice is now shot. He's speaking at a squawk. No chance of him bluffing anyone for a while. Okay. First of all, that difficulty check actually sounds about like does that difficulty check actually sounds to be one of the first things that this GM has done that's made that's been sensible. Well, yeah, he let him make the check. It was that was that was a ridiculously outlandish suggestion, right? Um, yeah, I, as far as the unexplained setbacks go, I can at least see why he's adding setbacks. He's like, okay, first of all, there's logistics of is there actually a rancor in here? You know, well, not wrong planet, blah, blah, blah. Potential for despair, upgrade the check, that's fine. Because obviously, if something goes wrong, it's going to go wrong. And, and that's definitely a check that I would upgrade. But he made it. He made it with a single threat. And a single threat in a role like that, I I would explain it as okay, yeah, you strain your vocal cords a little bit, take a uh, you know, either take a setback die or take a point of strain or something along those lines. Four successes. Yeah, that that should have if if you said like, this is what kind of blows me away. He wouldn't let one PC stealth around, but he allowed that. Okay. Oh God, you're right. Okay, with with no no both both should have been allowed. Okay. And he allowed this one with the proper stupid hard difficulty. But like you say, it succeeded, even with the stupid hard difficulty. You have to deal with that, not ignore it because you don't like it. it those weak ways should have like cowered or called to their boss or had an entire round of them doing nothing but, uh, what? They didn't tell us they had a rancor. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very, I mean they're probably going to figure it out pretty quick, but at the very least, it gives them, you it, know... It buys you time to to get away at the very least. 
I would have had like, you know, if, if they, he made that role, I would have had each and every one of those successes be one weak way who's too busy pissing himself to shoot that the PCs for the next round. Damn right. <sighs> By the time the soldier has returned, they manage to bring the Wookiee back from the brink of death and get into the APC, moving. Late but better than nothing. A chase ensues. Can't wait to see how this goes. <laughs> And the Twi'lek finally takes her moment to hop upon the abandoned skiff and be a target for random fire. Wait a minute. Why isn't she in the APC? <laughs> anyway, as the APC turns away at a slow pace, but goaded on by the Wookiee's piloting skills, a firefight takes place from the back of the APC towards a skiff that chases them. The Deveronian gets the idea to have a, the load lifter plant some of the hull plates from the cargo bay onto the path of the skiff. But despite multiple successes, the tactic doesn't even slow them down. You know, Phil, the more I'm hearing about this, I mean, I think this is clearly a new GM um, or a GM that's new to this kind of system, because it's obvious to me that this guy just doesn't have a concept of how to deal with any checks that aren't, I shoot the guy. Seriously. I mean, mean, it's sadly not uncommon, but I don't know. It needs to be the number one thing for for this GM to work on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the party manages to shoot the pilot of the enemy skiff in the head with a Wookiee bowcaster, but there's apparently no debris of, of chattered skull or brains, or even blood. His absence from the control seems to be an only temporary nuisance, as he is almost immediately replaced by one of the other pirates, who at this point seems more like religious zealots than pirates, because they've lost most of their numbers, yet fight and cling to the party like the aggressiveness of fire ants during a Texas gully washer. <laughs> What the hell's a gully washer? Big rainstorm. Oh, okay. The last pirate leader is eventually at the helm and still just as dogged in his pursuit until it seems like the GM is growing tired of the chase. Which is good because I think we're growing tired of the chase. The skiff wrecks and throws him overboard, grinding him to ashes, including his seemingly impossible impregnable armor. If this were Cinema Sins, the, the counter would be at over 9,000, and it only got worse. In the end, it turns out that the junkyard owner is actually a rebel of some kind, and pays the players handsomely for building him a new ship and droid from junk parts, but hardly a mention of being grateful for wiping out a weak-way pirate group, nor even why they would be raiding his junkyard in the first place. Okay. So it sounds like the intent here was to have a plot. Yup. Uh... The weak way are clearly paid to take down the rebel, and the PCs got sucked into that, right? Right, that's what it sounds like. But you have to explain that. You have to follow up with it. This could more than just pirates. This could have been. I mean, why are they religious zealots doggedly following these guys? Because they're not really pirates. They're assassins, and they got to complete their mission. Okay. Mm. Um, uh, this could have been a chance to draw the party into the rebellion. Maybe now their involvement in this escapade has them on the Imperial Red List. Uh, I, I, you follow up. Uh, at least explain it. At least, you know, give them a reason. But a good part of this game is that it seemed an ideal of what not to do. Firstly, the GM should use logical descriptions of things, the way businesses work, the motivations for doing an encounter in the first place, not just come up with a premise and throw it at the players and see what sticks. Okay, yeah, but Austin, buddy, pal, I'm going to throw this back at you too. I got to wonder why the PCs went along with this anyway. I mean, what was their goal? 
make some checks to make some creds. I mean, right. what are they hoping to get out of this? What adventure is your party trying to to get on board with? I mean, was it an issue of we need money to overcome obligation or something? Okay, okay, but you know, it's it's much incumbent on you to tell the narrative as well and make this interesting and and demand that from your GM. Well, to be fair, it almost sounds like they were trying. Yeah, yeah, fair. If, if the GM, if the GM, if they're, I mean, the girl trying to make the toilet girl trying to make those checks, um, the Deveronian trying to bluff his way out of things multiple times, it sounds like the PCs were being creative, but it doesn't sound like the GM was having any of it. He wanted a combat encounter. He wanted a combat encounter, was willing to let it go to be a chase, as long as that chase was also a combat encounter. Yeah. He just wanted to shoot stuff. Now, admittedly, I've had I've had moments like that too, where all I've wanted to do was shoot stuff. You know what I do? I load up MechWarrior online. That's <laughs> nothing but shooting stuff. <laughs> I do not invite over my six good friends, have them sit down at a table with beer and pretzels and pizza, and then just roll dice at them until they start dropping like flies. Yeah, that is not a sound like a good. That does not sound like a good weekend. Okay, so what have we learned from this crazy story of craziness? Uh, okay. GM needs well, there needs to be a GM school somewhere, some <laughs> some some university offering a uh, 101 course on game mastering. Well, okay, look, not okay, okay. <laughs> there... <coughs> oh, excuse could, me. You're oh, you're you're good, man. We could Austin Catan's in the in the uh, in the chat right now. He says, "I have no idea what we were doing." <laughs> <laughs> oh. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. First and foremost, sin number one, you must explain difficulty to your players whenever it's relevant to the story. Okay? Right. Unless it's an opposed check, in which case you need to say, well, it's an opposed check. Okay? That, that's the explanation. you got to explain right. the difficulty period. Now, Phil, for what you just said, though, listen, not every GM is a professional writer. Okay? No. Or even, no. A, or even a solid storyteller. Okay? You can't expect Austin Tolkien-esque descriptors or scene paintings to be laid out all the time. Um, however, Phil, I think even the most humble of GMs can engage in some major points to flesh things out for the group. Yeah. Um, um, NPC dialogue. True. Just true. a few things here and there can clue the PCs into motivations for the bad guys more than just shoot them. And this comes back to episode seven, the list. We talk about coming up with creative ways in an encounter to spend advantage, okay, to offer your right. players. If one of these guys rolls a triumph for advantage, you know, in addition to what they suggest, maybe maybe you let them learn something critical about the plot. Maybe they overhear some of the weak way pirates talking to each other, saying, you know, this wasn't in the mission brief or something like that. That kind of clues them into the deeper plot, that type of thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, by the same token, a, a clue a clue. I don't care if you're not a great storyteller. You can still build clues that are there. I mean, okay, so the skiff exploded and the guy in the armor burned up. Great. So maybe among the bodies of the pirates, you find a clue, uh, a data pad that outlines payment for attacking the junkyard and who sure. who sent the payment. Um, strange credits on their bodies from a far-flung system. An ISB comm link is mysteriously on one of the bodies, Okay. Um, something. something. I think uh, the other big sin, and for me, what what's the final most important part to this story is the GM should never tell the players you can't do anything or you're useless here, tacitly or, or directly. 
Absolutely. That as soon as I heard that, if I am ever at a table and a GM says that, I'm halting the game. I will, you know, throw up, you know, timeout, throw on a, throw the yellow flag, you know, call an audible, and I will say, whoa, 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 and and I will have a discussion with the GM right there because at immediately upon him doing that, I am stopping his game because he has stopped another player's game. He has removed a player from a game. The, the player is here spending their afternoon, spending their evening, spending whatever time they've got to GM with this group, and the GM just said, you can't do anything, you're useless here. Now, it, I, there's no justification for that. No, there's really None. If, if, you know, Even those specialized characters that we were, I just meant, you know, mentioned earlier and we were talking about last session, the folks who have just cranked up their one stat and that's all they do, if they want to try something else, even if they're not good at it, they're still trying. Yeah. It, it's a sin that stifles the creativity and makes the player feel unimportant, and that is not cool. That is not your role as a GM. Your GM is to facilitate an adventure that has that entertains you and your friends for however long you guys are sitting at the table. It is not GM versus players. Go play Descent or 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 Imperial Assault when it comes out if that's what you want. If you want GM versus players, play a game like that. You don't play a role playing game. Yeah, yeah. Or Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu can be GM versus players. <laughs> that can be kind of fun. <laughs> Or paranoia. Paranoia, but those games are designed to do that. Exactly. They're designed that way. This is a game that's designed to tell a story and have everyone feel like they're part of a Star Wars cinema action. Uh, uh. <sighs> Crazy story, Austin. Um, uh, thank you for sharing it. Um, this was kind of an odd choice for a meet of our show, but we really wanted to, to get to some of these because they'd been piling up and... And we felt that in this time of Thanksgiving, <laughs> it's important to give thanks for good GMs and remind all you GMs out there what to continue to do to be good and avoid such problems in your own games. There you go. If you guys have any uh, shorter requests for <laughs> when good games go bad, you could of course, head to the forums at d20radio.com slash forums, head to the Order 66 boards and post it up. Uh, we'd love to hear it and tackle it in a future episode. You're also welcome to email us, uh, gmchris at d20radio.com, gmphil at d20radio.com, or gmdavid at d20radio.com. And uh, if you don't want it broadcast on the air, that's perfectly fine, but if you have any game concerns or questions or stuff you'd like advice about, let us know, and we are happy to help. Well, at this point, uh, Philbert, we are going to move into the second installment of a new listener bit from Jester's Loose 618 and Yoshi Yahoo, who take us on the continued narrative journey inside of Jex's Diner, where characters from around the galaxy come to Jex's for a hot cup of calf and some good conversation. Let's do it. This segment continues to focus on providing listeners with ideas for plot hooks and characters for your games, all related in this in-universe style. And this week, our erstwhile private eye has a candid chat with an Imperial agent to discuss a heist at the libraries of Obra Sky. We'll see you guys on the other side in about four minutes. Welcome to Jex's Diner. Seat yourself, please. Oh, hey, thanks for the calf. Oh, we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to meet me here. Oh, you know. how oh, I do what I do. 
Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you, actually, is uh, apparently there's been a break-in at the libraries of Obroskai. Really? Yes, and while we're not quite sure what data was stolen yet, it appears that they managed to overcome multiple barriers and several different layers of security. What kind of layers of security are we talking about here? Well, the first is obviously the fact that it's impossible to slice into these systems remotely, so someone had to have actually arrived on site to do this. Like they would have had to get inside the library. Indeed. Those terminals are all located in a restricted area, and they would have had to have overcome random security patrols, security droids, and multiple security cams in the area. Never mind that once they tripped any triggers or any kind of alarm system, uh, automatic blast doors would have come down and prevented escape. Well, I assume you didn't bring me here to tell me a story or for my charming personality. Far from it. In fact, due to your rather interesting proclivity for being able to think like a criminal... I was going to see if you had any ideas for possible motives for why they would have broken into the libraries. You flatter me, really. This will cost you my going rate. Of course. So really it depends on who was doing the robbing. So if it were a bunch of smugglers or gunslingers, it could have been a hut called in a favor. Maybe they were getting some information on a rival gang on what they were dealing in and where to find them. Maybe they were going to snuff them out. Or maybe it was some treasure hunters looking for some old archives or ruins to get their hands on some ancient artifacts that would get them some quick cash. Now, if it were rebels, then we'd have a problem, because they could be getting information on any imperial buildings, imperial bunkers, or maybe erasing themselves from the imperial archive, making it harder for you imps to find them out. Now, this last one is a bit of a stretch, so you're going to have to stick with me. Well, go on. So, there's been word in the underground that some Force-sensitive cults have been popping up. Like, Force-sensitive exiles and stuff. And there used to be a training academy on Obro Sky. And, but it was shut down years ago. It's possible that they just pushed all the holocrons and lightsabers into a broom closet somewhere. And some wannabe Jedis are trying to get their hands on them. Intriguing possibilities, all three, however outlandish they may seem. Hey, you're the one who asked. Perhaps we could get some of your more colorful agents to see if there's any hut business going on in this sector. I can see if Imperial Intelligence assets in the region can check up on any active rebel cells that we know of, and, well, I don't see much purpose in involving the Inquisitorius on a mere... Yeah. Speculation. Yeah, the, the inquisitory... The, that thing. Well, I appear to be getting a call on my comm link. It looks like Imperial business. I'm going to have to go. Sure, we'll be in touch. Indeed. Hey, hey, wait. Wait, who's going to pay for this calf? And the meal? Thanks for coming. We'll put it on your tab. doesn't seem to take a hint, this guy. I was beginning to wonder if you'd got my message. Messages from the Edge. Go 
Boy, am I glad to hear your voice. I think it would be wise if you took advantage of my knowledge in this instance. And now we move to Messages from the Edge, our regular show segment where we take the time to answer game and rules questions about the system. How can listeners get us these questions, Phil? Well, they can get them to us by heading over to uh, D20 Radio's forums at www.d20radio.com slash forums. Log in or register and head over to the Order 66 podcast boards where you'll find a Messages from the Edge thread. You can also email your question to us at gmchris at d20radio.com, gmdave at d20radio.com, and of course gmphil at d20radio.com. Finally, if you are brave enough, leave us a question via the voicemail on the D20 Radio hotline, 262-D20-RADIO. That's 262-320-7234. And that is exactly what uh, our uh, two questions for tonight, uh, who came from, the, from a single listener uh, named Lance, did. Um, he also left us a liner, which we, of course, played off the top of the show. If you guys want to tell us why you've never listened to the Order 66 podcast, of course, call the number and uh, let us know. 262 D20 Radio. But uh, we have a couple interesting questions from Lance, Phil. Um, brave, brave Lance. Brave, brave Lance. Um, you ready for him? Fire away. All right. Hey, this is Lance. Um, I had a question about critical hits and stuff. Uh, critical hits are awesome. I love them. Plus, uh, especially when they're done on players. I think that's the best way to have cinematic you know, experiences during the game. But the thing I couldn't figure out is why on earth would I want to use a critical on, like, say, a minion or uh, possibly a rival, and I could see maybe, or I could see with the best case being Nemesis. I mean, because really, like, after two hits, usually, you know, if not one, minions are all dead, maybe three for rivals, and Nemesis is, I can see them lasting a bit longer to actually have, you know, to uh, see a benefit of giving a nemesis a critical hit. But other than that, it just seems kind of like a waste of time and rather just kill it than maim it. Um, also, I don't know if someone has asked this before. I am on episode 19 and catching up, so <laughs> if this is a repeat, I'm sorry. Uh, but um, I did have another question, if it's all right, in addition to this one. I have a group of players that... Um, they seem to, like, expect combat in every turn. Um, you know, like, they're used to D&D 3.5, and so I can have situations to where, you know, I make it available for them to, you know, have a experience where they can negotiate out of, but they don't. They seem to just like, okay, let's kill these guys and then move on to the next turn kind of thing. And I was just wondering if there's a way that I could get them to... <laughs> realize that it's not just about killing things and moving on to the next room. Anyway, thanks, and uh, I love your podcast. Bye. Well, thanks, Lance. We love you, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, a couple of good questions there, Lance. Thank you for uh, for sending those in. Yeah. And um, let's, let's work on them. Uh, first one, crits. Crits. Um... Yeah, on minions, a critical hit takes out an extra minion. Yeah, <laughs> let's 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 not forget that. I mean, if if your blaster is if your blaster hit deals eight points of damage, you might take out one minion in the group. And if you manage to crit with advantage or a triumph, you could take out another minion in the group. 
Um, And so that's the most basic reason for wanting to pop crits on minions. And I see my players, at least personally, my players understand that. And if they, I mean, assuming it's not like one minion left in the group, um, or, you know, they'll, man, they'll, they'll throw crits on those minion groups like mad just because it seriously reduces that, that group faster. If I kill you and deal 10 damage to the rest of them, that might take out three of them. Well, okay. Now that's the other thing too, as a GM, like, I don't know what you do, Phil, but I personally, I I resolve wounds damage before before asking for how the advantage or or triumph is going to be spent, because that could inform what the player does. You know what I mean? If if I if he tells me he wants to spend it on a crit, but the wounds themselves, if if, if, if he rolled, if he did crazy and rolled like fifteen wounds and took out the entire minion group with one hit, sure. I don't want to. I don't want him to waste his triumph. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. And and honestly, that kind of goes along with. Uh, with resolution, you resolve the damage, you resolve the advantage and disp- you resolve advantage and threat, and if you spend advantage to trigger another hit through, you know, auto fire or length or whatever, um, then you deal extra damage there. But yeah, no, that 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 sort of follows. I I kind of I I sort of do the same thing. I just don't I I just don't do it with with general awareness that I'm doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if I say, "Oh yeah, no, no, that takes so that takes out that crit," you know, or rather, that takes out that group. Um, you don't have to spend the advantage to crit because they're already down. Uh, what do you want to spend that on? So yeah, no, I don't have them wasted. Okay, now, so minions, I think crits make can make a lot of sense potentially. Okay, right, mow them down, mow them down. What do you do in that situation where? Uh, okay, because I mean. How how do you recommend players spend you know crit worthy advantage or triumphs in the situation where you're really not wanting to crit the minion group? Still talking about minions now. I mean, what are there other common good things you can recommend that they do with that with that kind of stuff? Um, submit them to uh, you know in the case of uh, triumphs, have them upgrade that minion group's next difficulty. Yeah, what if the minion yeah. group's taken out completely? Oh, if the minion group's taken on completely, then that uh, that triumph emboldens your allies, and you know either give yourself or the next ally an upgrade to their check with that, or have that you know completely uh, completely demoralize the enemy as he realizes that his whole flank is now exposed, and now he has a difficulty upgrade an upgrade to his next check. Absolutely. A difficulty. I mean, can I share with you some of the more creative things some of my players have done? Shoot. In this exact scenario, when they've dealt enough damage to take out a minion group, but they still got a triumph or enough advantage to trigger a crit. Yep. Um, I had one player say, okay, well, as they take him down, I want the droid or whoever to tumble, and I want the carbine that he's carrying to clatter across the floor and slide over to the feet of the Politico in the party. All right? Nice. All right, that was a inspired suggestion, okay? And as a GM, cool. you should never be afraid to suggest cool advantage and triumph for your players. Sure. Um, you know, it, it, the, 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 the one tough part about being a GM in the system is, is, you know, your player rolls a single advantage and they're like, I want the roof to cave in and kill them all. And you, and you gotta, <laughs> and you gotta be like, that's a bit much for one or two advantage, you know, you gotta play that thing. But, but, you know, just, just as often as that, you'll have players that will underestimate what they can do with advantage and triumph. And yeah. you should take pride and, and be happy about, about saying, well, yeah, you could do that, but God, that's awfully low for, for a triumph man i mean you could 
You could knock the gun out of his hand and have it fly towards the Politico in a space where he could pick it up. You could, you know, suggest those things. If you're suggesting crazy things your players can do that are better than what they're suggesting, it's not like they're going to say no <laughs> or get pissed at you. Um, exactly. Exactly. Um, another good thing uh, I had uh, one of my players do once at a con game. Um, uh, and th- this it, it's a con game. So I know the rules, you know, you, you tend to be a little more lenient with a con game, right? Sure. But... They rolled enough damage to take out the minion group, and the dude rolled two triumphs, okay? All right. And he's like, okay, as and it was a group of droids. He's like, as the last droid goes down, I want his blaster to fire, and I want it to hit one of the, uh, you know, one of, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the other NPC bad guys. Why not? And I'm like, really? He's like, I want to spend both triumphs to do that. Can I make that happen? Both triumphs. I was like, two triumphs? Mm, kind of interesting. Uh, I was like, how do you justify that? I was like, well, basically, like, it was a carbine. And he's like, the carbine's got auto, f- or it wasn't a carbine, but it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a rifle with auto fire, right? And he's like, I want to spend my, my, you know, my one triumph to have that happen, and the other triumph to sort of activate the auto fire. So basically, I'm getting in a second hit. <laughs> All right. So basically, m- more like, like, he he's treating his weapon as if it has a quality that it doesn't. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and it was fun at the time, and it really made sense. And it's not like he wanted it to take out the BBEG. It was to mow down another minion in a separate cluster. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fun. Sure. We'll go for that. Yeah, yeah. That's Two cin- triumphs, I'm down with that. That's cinematic. That's Star Wars. Yeah. Okay, what about crits on rivals, dude? Because this is where I get... You know, in my experience, not a lot of suggestions here. Do you see any reason for crits on rivals? No, and I, I honestly never. I, I, I'm struggling to think of a time when a PC has spent a crit on a rival when they've known that it was a rival. Um, pretty much, the PCs are willing to crit. My PCs are willing to crit anybody who could potentially be a problem to them. Um, rivals are uh, uh, rather nemeses are are a big one, mm-hmm. but I think in the I think there was one instance where where a rival was just so I don't want to say embittered towards a PC, but you know yeah, the, the PC had such a, a such a, a a gun sight on him that he's like I'm going to crit him because I want him to hurt. Yeah, <laughs> but really, that one time is the only time I've ever seen a PC use a crit on a rival. Every other time that PC has, has has you know either severely injured that rival to the point where like wow a crit's just kind of pointless because that guy's not going to be around the next time somebody shoots him so they'll spend that triumph and they'll spend that advantage on something else yeah free maneuver recover strain upgrade checks dramatically affect the course of battle yeah. anything other than a crit now crits on nemesis that it does make sense. Oh yeah, I mean, oh yeah, to to a large extent, and I, I, I typically when my when my players are, crit, are, are are rolling triumphs or multiple advantage, they decide they want to crit. It's usually making that crit choice against the obvious nemesis in the room, right? So, yeah. So, what about the second question he posed, Phil, regarding his players expecting combat? And I, I got to start this by saying, man, I know you said at the time of your voicemail you'd only been up through episode 19. I hope you've listened to episode 24 that Phil mentioned earlier, Kung Pao Chicken, mm-hmm. um, because that mindset is very much a holdover from a D20 system mentality. 
And we spend an entire episode talking about ways to combat that. So I really suggest you go give that episode a listen, Lance. Exactly. I mean, it, uh, to be fair, that could answer the question right there. But for the benefit of, of our listeners. Yes, yes. Let's talk. What, 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 I mean, what, what, what advice can we give him? Have you looked at the cover of the book? Do you notice that it does not say 4E on it? <laughs> um, the name of the game is Star Wars. And while there are, in fact, many wars and much combat to be found in Star Wars, um, that's not the focus of the game. The focus of the game is to tell a very cinematic tale. And in that cinematic tale, there are conflicts. Conflicts of all kinds of sorts. Conflicts of weaponry, conflicts of voices, conflicts of, of knowledge. Um, you might need to hit the reset button and reset your PC's expectations as far as what, they're, what they are expecting from this game. Yeah. Uh, explain it to them and say, okay, this is what we're playing. We're playing Star Wars. You know, then, and yes, there will be combat. I do, you know, I, I, my PCs know this. I, I enjoy a good fight, but I also enjoy a good dialogue and a good, uh, a good uh, investigation and, and information and uncovering the plot and uncovering the, the, the schemes of the villains and, and the plights of the, uh, of the, of the good folk that need help from the PCs. Um, yeah, if they're all they're expecting is combat all the time, they think the expectations need to be adjusted. Yeah, and Lance is actually in Echo Base right now watching live, and he's, he's saying, he's saying, yeah, I'm up to speed now. And he said, uh, the player handed me his cleric character, and I had to say, we aren't doing D&D. I felt bad. Aww. <laughs> um, wow. Um, so... Uh, and this is kind of the thing. If your players have that expectation already and the game's going, it's entirely possible they may have built a party that's not suited for anything but combat. Um, and at that point, if you try to force those players into non-combat scenarios, they're not going to do well. Um, now, you can mitigate this, Lance, by well, a couple things. First and foremost, if you, if you want to throw those non-combat scenarios at him, keep difficulties fairly lower than you normally would. Just yeah. to to account for the fact that that, but the way you can still show them that rich experience of of uh, of social encounters and and non combat encounters and get them excited about it. And I think if you do uh, introduce some scenarios like that, you know, have one or two really hard checks, so it motivates them to say, "Wow, okay, this scenario, this we did, we did good here, we did fine here, except for that one check. If I had just a little more skill, maybe I would have been able to make that." And that might motivate them to go out and, and buy up that skill or, or buy something that will help them in that scenario. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely with that um, suggestion. Additionally, I, following along that vein, I think in this scenario, if you're going to reset expectations for your players, you need to give them the opportunity to also reset their characters in a mechanical sense. If somebody wants to rework their character at that point, you should let them. I mean, whether it be, you know, hey, you know what, take off your last 50 or 60 XP, and if you want to reapply it, you can do so. Um, or if you want to rebuild your character from scratch, you know, with your earned XP so far, do it. You know, that, that's part of the learning curve for this game, I think, especially when you have players that are coming into this type of system for the very first time. Yeah. First couple characters, they, they might not grasp the system yet. Might take some time to sort of sort of line up that mentality and it's good to be able to to give them that opportunity to to make a character that they're going to have fun with and that they're going to feel is useful and contributing to the game yeah 
Also, if you have a plot in mind, Phil brought up an excellent suggestion earlier in the show. If you really do have a strong plot in mind, Lance, and you have certain roles that you think would be fulfilled, don't be above saying, okay, guys, I'm just going to let you in right now. These are the kinds of character roles that we really need fleshed out in this party. You guys, I mean, if, if, it, like, if it's going to be a combat-heavy game, tell them that and say, you know, uh, you guys aren't going to have access to ready, ready medical facilities. You might want to have a doctor in the group. Or, you know, this is not going to be all combat all the time, guys. You're going to have a lot of social encounters, a lot of sneaky encounters. You might want to have a, a thief in the group, or you might want to have a, a politico. Um, you know, th- these are the types of challenges, you know, you know, you can say, you know, half or over half this game is not going to be shooty-shooty. So, you know, plan your characters accordingly. What type of character do you want to make? Um, right. And also reinforce the fact that even a, a strong face or, or technical character or skill, non-combative skill-focused character can still be an effective combatant in this system. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the beauties of this system. So, you know, and it goes the other way too. So as Phil was saying earlier, even if they're combative characters, they can buy up, uh, you know, non-combative skills and still become a good generalist um, to, a right. point, to, a, to a point. So. Good questions, Lance. I hope that helps. Um, guys, as we said, if you guys have additional questions for Messages from the Edge, um, of course, get to the forums, uh, get to the D20 Radio hotline, 262-D20-RADIO, or email us, um, GM Chris, GM Dave, or GM Phil at D20 Radio, and let us know. So we've been podcasting for almost two hours. hmm <laughs> With a lot of when good games go bad. Um, but it's time to kind of wind things down, so to speak. Um, next up on the docket, um, obviously we are trying very hard, uh, to get a show together, um, with the appropriate special guests to talk about creating starships from scratch. This has been an old suggestion that we finally feel there's enough material out there to really have all of us get a handle on it and really go through with the appropriate people, how to homebrew ships and equipment. Um, that's uh, up there on the docket, obviously. Um, the other thing that's really been piquing my interest lately, and I, I think we're finally at a point where we can do this too now, Phil, that the Force and Destiny beta is out, and we're at the point where we have enough updates for it, um, sure. because I want to cover all stripes on this, is we had a suggestion actually from GM Hooli a while back on how to create NPCs in this system. Mm. Um, how, to, how to do threats, because there aren't any static rules for it, and you really have to eyeball it and use your experience. Um, and, you know, aside from reskinning, we really do have some solid rules and pieces of advice that we can give you about creating threats in the system. Um, so that's another thing that we're planning on covering in our next couple episodes as well. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to that discussion a lot, actually. <laughs> um, uh, but if you guys have any additional suggestions, there are plenty others out there, obviously, especially in regards to specializations you guys want us to cover for our Will Isn't That Special. They, they keep piling up. Head to the forums, the Order 66 boards, and let us know. So It's there. I hope yeah, it is. I hope all of our listeners had a wonderful Thanksgiving, Phil. Yes, and I hope that they are thankful for the, all the good GMs and all their players out there. <laughs> well, I'm thankful for you and uh, the rest of our listeners. So, ah, oh, I'm so sappy alone. <laughs> this is GM Chris, wishing you peace, love, and good gaming. And this is GM Phil. May the dice be with you.
This podcast and related website are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, the Walt Disney Corporation, 20th Century Fox, or Fantasy Flight Games. It is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names, pictures, or references to any Star Wars vehicles, characters, or other Star Wars-related items are registered trademarks of Lucasfilm Limited, Fantasy Flight Games, or their respective trademark or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast, including audio, visual, or textual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 Podcast and the Gamer Nation LLC. the drum all day all day i have watched that trailer at this point over 40 times <laughs> wow and every time it's just bah. yeah i can yeah something's wrong with me <laughs> no man it's 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 exciting i i get that it's 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 really exciting it's it's new Star Wars, man. It's new Star Wars, and we don't know what we're going to get, because it's not done by George. I'm, I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I mean, okay, I look okay. at the Clone Wars, and I look at the, and I look at what Rebels has given us, and I've just, you know, you know Clone Wars was with George, and George Lucas was a, a consultant on the, you know, he was executive producer, and he was consulted on just about everything on the show. Yeah. But Rebels is the first thing that the first product that we've seen without George's hand involved. Yeah. And it's amazing because you look and they're going they're going back to the good stuff. They're going back to the Ralph McGuire paintings and and design themes along those lines and and it it feels different but it feels like Star Wars. Yeah. I um I'm very pleased with the new show. Um I think, you know, they're still they're still fleshing it out, right? Um, I mean, you know, the first season of Clone Wars wasn't hot, okay? No, no, it wasn't. And admittedly, I'm kind of... I get why they're doing the whole... The whole oh, there was a lot of Jedi theme, uh, Jedi's theme and Jedi-centric episodes because, well, it's Star Wars and there's Jedi and that's what kind of gets kids up and going. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to more episodes involving Fulcrum. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to more episodes involving this five-year Tarkin plan. Yeah. And seeing where this rebellion comes from. Yeah, it's, That's what I'm thinking about season two, or at least the lat- later half of this season is going to be involved in. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be very good. But I'm, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. And I, um, more than anything, I think I'm excited to get these new story concepts into my games. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I've run, quote-unquote, legacy-era games before, but, you know... I want to, you know, run the new canon, you know, when it's released. That's sure what I think is going to be very exciting. Sure. Um, so yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm. It, it's going to be, it's going to be good stuff. So. Lance actually asked in the uh, in the chat, does the Inquisitor lightsaber bug anybody else? Uh, I think uh, he, I think he missed the first part of our show. Oh, the Inquisitor lightsaber. The Inquisitor lightsaber. Oh. It bothers me a lot less since I've seen it in action and not just as um, production stills. 
uh, the fact that that ring actually folds into a cross guard and you can actually kind of use it like a more more of like a fencing saber that uh, I'm like okay that makes sense that's cool okay it, when it, if it, okay Austin's in chat saying yeah but when it spins it's no longer connected to the hilt so it shouldn't work dude it works because Star Wars yeah because X- Star Wars X-Wing shouldn't make sound in space and I, I, I do like Dave Filoni's explanation that, you know, the Inquisitor is good, but he's not a fully trained Sith, so his lightsaber has sort of cheat mode to do a bunch of the things that Maul could do naturally. Yeah. <laughs> I have a giant spinny blade. Ah, look at this. I know. And and I don't want to dog on it too much because, you know, Star Wars, you don't need an explanation. But the same sure. token, I fully believe the design of that particular blade and the way it works was done that way intentionally so that they could make a toy that had a spinning lightsaber blade that worked that way. They, they Hasbro had a grievous lightsaber that worked just like that. Yeah, but the hands spun, and it's you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. It was it was a ring with two blades on it. You pushed a button, and the, and it spun just yeah, like that. I do, okay, I do remember that. Yeah. And I actually thought of like I, I I didn't think they would actually make a new mold for the Inquisitor saber. I thought they would literally just recast that sucker in black with red blades. <laughs> But no, they actually made a new mold. It's <laughs> not, 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 not bad. Okay, so I was going to tell right, you this see. story about my game. Yeah, I got it written a non-human D&D. Okay, so the uh, this was seven years ago, maybe eight. All right. Um, third edition, 3.5 game. Okay. Um, and I had an idea in my head, and I, I told... Um, I told my players at the time, and and this was uh, this was Cat, my wife, two new players that I met through actually Saga Edition. Um, uh, I, I I organized like like local Saga play, you know, in my community, and I met sure. I met these two guys through that, and uh, this this uh, boyfriend girlfriend, and uh, I was like, oh, you guys are cool. You I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna run a D and D game. Do you want to you want to come? They were like, yeah, we're down. And so and then an OG gamer of mine. Uh, uh, also joined, and I'll, I'll leave him nameless because he was the player we ended up having to not invite back. Um, uninvite, yeah. Uninvite. And I told them very specifically, I said, okay, I want you guys to, you, you can make any character you want from any from any of the books, any class, it's fine, but no humans. None. That's the rule. No humans. You know, anything right. you, you, you want to do, you want to do, uh, and, and, and I'd prefer it if you didn't do half-elves either, although you can, but I'd prefer it if you, you know, if you didn't do half-elves. And so we had we had elves and dwarves and halflings and half orcs, okay, um, uh, and and we we were we were good, and it, it was one of those things that uh, maybe this was a poor jamming one on my part, but my my OG player he made a wizard, an elf wizard, and he spent money on a donkey, okay. Okay. And he had a donkey, and I'm, and I'm like, I'm like, you know, you can't ride that. He's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm like, it's a beast of burden. I mean, you got to, you need to make some handle animal checks to get him through tough situations. It's not like he's a trained war mount or anything. And he's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay. And so one of the first encounters that ends up happening, you know, about about well, that's not true. Maybe maybe second session in, they yeah. they they come they come to an encounter where they're on a road and there's a, an army of bad guys coming and they're like, oh crap, we're gonna have the road and hide. And I'm I'm wanting to create tension in the game, so this is the perfect time for me to bring up the freaking donkey, right? 
Okay. And so I'm like, all right, man, I need you. That that donkey, is. he's found an interesting piece of grass. He's chewing on it. He does not want to move. You're tugging on the range. He's not wanting to move at all. I need you to give me a handle animal check. All right. And uh, uh, he makes it. And just, just not one, you know, and, and, uh. and, and just fails horribly. I'm like, the donkey will not budge, man, you know. And I figure, what's the worst case scenario, okay? They find a donkey, all right? There's sure. A, there's a donkey in the road. Do you think the army's going to care? But he refuses to leave his donkey and gets very pissed off. And says, no, I'm going to stand here next to my donkey. I'm not going to let him take my donkey. <sighs> so the army comes up, and they capture him, all right? All right. And after that, he's like, well, I guess I'm done for the session. And he just walks out. He, he leaves? Yeah. Okay. It was like... Okay, and I know the player very well, and it, it, it wasn't, you know, he was enjoying the game, but he was pissed off that, you know, I made him make a roll for the donkey. Okay. And so he he left the session, and I just didn't inform him of when the next one was. Uh. We went on to have, like, a 20-session game after that. It was fun, beautiful <laughs> and brilliant. Um were you going to have the the rest of the party rescue him? Well, I, didn't, sort of I, well, I didn't. I honestly didn't expect him to just sit there and do it. But yeah, sure, the party can go rescue him. Actually, would have fit very nicely with the plot. But the the setup, I, I loved this. I I, I brainchild this for a while. Our our, our PCs were all um, these non human, you know, uh, teenagers. They were like all, all of them were like you know sixteen to twenty, basically, right. And they lived in, basically, there's this tiny, tiny isolated valley in the middle of a mountain range that no one knows is there. There's only one path in or out, and there's this village there. And they've lived there their entire lives. They've never left, okay? And there are no humans in the village. It's all, you know, non-human races, basically. Sure. And they live a standard village life, and oh, it's all fantastic and all far out and solid and right on and everything else like that. And the, the meta plot is... There was an orc warband that came down and actually ravaged the village. And as a result, although the village managed to fight them off, a lot of the, basically all of their supplies to see them through the winter, all of their food was destroyed or taken. And so the village is not going to survive the winter. Their home, their people are not going to survive. Okay. Sure. And so the elders and their, their basically their parents and, and the other powerful people in the village are like, okay, well, we have to go into the outside world to get food. And there's a whole big thing. They're like, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. And they don't understand why. And eventually the, the, you know, these people go, and it's weeks, and they've not returned. And, and, and the cold is starting to come. <laughs> okay? Sure. And so sure. basically these, these five of them, take up this 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 banner of okay we got to go and we got to we got to save our people we got to go find food and bring it back and so they leave this isolated mountain valley and they discover that they are part of a community that has been hiding from a very large empire composed of racist humans who Mm. control the entire continent and have basically enslaved every non-human species oh wow and 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 they have no clue and so it was a lot of fun having them discover this for the first time. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, they get out of the mountain valley and they find this woman and she's a human and she's got like a busted cart that's fallen over and she sees them coming towards them and they're all like decked out with arms and armor and she's like, Because, ah! <laughs> you know, she's armed slaves. Oh my gosh, you know? And armed slaves. 
Slaves were. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, it, 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 was, it was a lot of fun for them to figure it out. And they go through and they build a resistance and they are able to overthrow this oppressive regime and bring freedom back to everybody. And it was a fun campaign. But yeah, yeah, that was just, it was one of those things I'm like, wow, I... I don't, I don't know if I made a bad call as a GM or you overreacted or what, but I think it's just better if I not tell you about the next session. <laughs> Uninvited. Did he, ever, did he find out that the, the game was still going on? Yeah. And he was like, I don't care. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah, okay. Fine. Fine. Very good, sir. This, this is the guy. It's like, all right, I'm doing a medieval theme. It's very, it's very, very medieval. He's like, well, I want to play a samurai. I just got this new book. I want to play a samurai. I'm like, <laughs> it really doesn't fit in the one I want to play. Then, okay, all right then. Okay, you can be a samurai. That's fine. That that kind that kind of player, you know. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I get that kind of player. <laughs> And then five sessions in, he's really hating the game. I'm like, what's wrong? Why are you unhappy? He's like, my character sucks. The samurai can't do shit. I'm like, well, you wanted to play him. <laughs> His abilities stink. They're not on par with anything. I'm like, I <laughs> playtest period. No. <laughs> what would you like to cho- would you like to change? <laughs> I'm sorry, your character sucks. Perhaps you would like to play something that fits more in line with the theme of the game. And whose abilities you know are cool, and you'd always wanted to play them. You never had a chance to. This is one of the players in my my epic, maybe ten years ago, uh, long running Eberron campaign that lasted almost two years. God, I love Eberron. Uh, yeah, dude, I was done with three five. I've told you this. I was done with three five. I was done with it completely. And then Eberron. And came then Eberron out. came out. I'm like, God, rig a freaking I gotta play this. And we, I ran two long campaigns in that in that setting. One of them, my most epic one, was level one to level twenty, and wow. took them all the way through. I mean, you know, how do you challenge a level twenty character in that system? The Promised Land, the Terrasque, actually, but still. Well, the Terrasque, but you know, I mean, well, for that you have like the Quarry and and the Demon Lands and and the the and um, the Zendrick. Yeah. They 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 yeah. went they went all over the place. We had some really fun moments in that in that game, but that was the uh, that that this player almost walked out of that campaign because he was pissed off that they were in oh god where were they I think they they may have been in Zendrick no yeah they were in Zendrick and the giant lands the giant lands but I had yeah. carved out a section of it that was populated by kobolds. Um, it was the area of Zendrick that was close to the dragon homeland. Oh sure. Okay, and so you had these kobolds that were there, and it was all kobolds, and they come to these ancient sort of draconic ruins, and they find this kobold, and he's wearing like, like a robe, and he's sitting in the middle of this vast arena with his legs crossed, and they have to cross this, and and basically I'm, they're gonna fight, you know, he's he's like he's like you know I will not let you pass this one kobold, and they're like okay, and they're like level ten or eleven, well this dude was a yeah. level twenty monk, of course he was, all right. And was it, the name of the village Suck My Orange Balls Halfling? <laughs> he's, a, so he's a level 20 monk, and he was the only threat in the entire encounter. And he was just, it was a kobold. And, and a level 20 monk. And a level 20 monk. And he completely, I mean, they managed to defeat him, but they completely, I mean, and that player got, this player got so pissed off. He was like, that's crap, man. Like, what? <laughs> what, what are you talking about? It, 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 I, it's just it's a freaking kobold. You should have told us he was badass. I'm like, Really? 
Really? <laughs> exactly. How was I supposed to inform you? I, 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 Should I have made the name of the town? This guy is totally badass. Uh, this kobold is totally badass village. I mean, what? Should, should, should his name have been in purple over his head? Is that what that would have done it for you? What? <laughs> Is he, oh, he's named. He's named. He's got to be. Oh, okay. He's got to be awesome. I mean, what, 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 what would have done it for you there, pal? Uh, oh, yeah. Tell me what you need. My, my absolute. God, I, this, this is like memory lane, man. I'm sorry. I'm getting off on so many tangents with this. Remembering this old campaign. That uh, campaign that I was telling you about before show, the where where me and a GM were tag teaming back and forth. Yeah. Eberron game. Oh yeah. Oh, dude. It was Eberron. Okay. My, Which is why we both did it because we're like, I want to run Eberron. I want to run Eberron. Let's collaborate. Let's, okay. Let's collaborate. Let's do it. Didn't um, quite work out. Do you remember the old Barrier Peaks adventure for first edition? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where basically it was it was alien technology that they discovered. You know, right, right. I I worked that in and did it into my Eberron campaign. Makes sense. And the uh, they were in the giant continent of Zendric. And they had found these giant ruins. They managed to activate this ancient teleportation device. And it took them, like magical teleportation, but it took them underground. And I worked hard to try and not clue them into the fact that you're inside of a, a buried alien spacecraft. So I'm, like, describing okay. it. And I'm like, okay, it's like the walls are made of, like, smooth metal. Like, no rivets, no nails. You've never seen anything like it. The walls, the floor, you know. There's there's some kind of stones in the ceiling that are glowing. Like, you know, you know what I mean? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, tr- I, I'm describing a ship, you know, like a starship with that, like, but trying to use terminology their characters will understand. And, you know, right. about half the group figured it out pretty quickly and they really enjoyed it. Um, and they they get to the cock. What's the cockpit of this ship? And they find this ancient desiccated corpse that's been mummified from the age. It's like 20,000 20, years old. Right. 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 And in 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 their stash of gear. For like 10 levels, they had this one thing that I'd given them back when they were level 3 in a peak of fancy because I was worried they might need it. And it was basically a finger bone of true resurrection. Oh, no. All right, which is like a potion or a scroll, but you just you snap it and it does its thing, right? And they're, and they're like, we got this thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you do have that thing. They're like, we want to resurrect this guy. Oh, God. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, give me five minutes. <laughs> Give me a minute. And so they bring this guy back to life. And um, CGMs, there's nothing wrong with taking five. There's nothing wrong with taking five. So I bring this guy back to life, and he doesn't speak their language. He's human. He doesn't speak their language. He has no idea what the hell's going on. And um, uh, his name is uh, Jack Johansson. He's from a place called Jersey. <laughs> and and like and like I describe the emblems on the ship, and it's basically a NASA ship, right? Oh God. All right, and 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 like. They they take this guy under their wing so much so that um, uh, Hudson, my buddy Hudson, actually they leveled during that adventure. And as his character feat, he decided he wanted to take leadership. He took leadership and said, "I want to make this guy my follower." <laughs> and I'm like, "This is brilliant. Okay, why not? You know?" And <laughs> oh man! And so this guy became this this long running NPC throughout the rest half of the campaign. It was just it was fun. Man. I love those NPCs. The NPCs that just, you know, you, you, you put a kind of a throwaway thing and the PCs just turn around and just invest so much energy and time into making them something important and just like, I, okay, I can, this guy was just going to be a no-nothing, no-nothing scrub. Or in your case, he was going to be like just, you know, a, a scene, like a scene setting. Yeah. Scene dressing. You just, know, he, just... he was a chorus with the PCs 
discover they have a re- a way to get them, bring them back to life. Ah, I love stories like that. It was fun. Oh. It was fun. And then at, at at the ultimate climax, they had to fight the Terrasque, which was fun. Yeah, uh, because why not? Because, because did they have the did they have the Vorpal sword they need to kill him? No, they found another interesting way to do it. They made a whole bunch of checks to find out his weaknesses. And like yep. the the one thing he doesn't have DR fifty against, I think, is cold. Mm. Um, and there's interesting, yeah. And at this point, at level twenty, the party wizard was like a master alchemist, right? Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, I can make this shit that he, you know, it's basically it's basically it's alchemist fire, but it's frost. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He's like, yeah. I can make this stuff, and these are you know, and he worked. Man, he worked with me on it. The dude came to me with a spreadsheet. Okay. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, these are the based on what you told me. These are the raw materials I've made and I would need, and this is how much it would cost to. It wasn't Froby, was it? Okay, no. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it was actually my wife. <laughs> I am not surprised. Uh, yeah, it was actually my. Wife. I am amused, but not surprised. Yeah. Uh, so she comes to me with this spreadsheet and she's like, she's like, so based on what you've told me, uh, you know, I, 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 what I want to do is I want to manufacture 400 vials of this. And I'm like, I, I'm like, this is going to be a massive effort. This is going to take months, if not years of work. And she, you know, and this thing's tearing up the countryside. And she's like, well, it's going to be a concerted effort, but with our political connections, and keep in mind, they'd at level 20, you, you're, you're a Lord at this point. You have keeps, you have, you know, fiefdoms, you have resources, right? And and they work together, and they made a session out of it, and they rally kings and alchemists, and uh, you know uh, what, what's the what, what do they call them in Eberron? The the freaking uh, the new class, the uh, artificers. Artificers. They gather artificers from everywhere, and they're like, all right, this is the plan. Everyone work. You know, they 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 took loans, they pulled from their own treasuries, and they basically it to me. Yeah, and so they manufactured four hundred vials of this stuff, and wow. The part- what did they do? Airdrop them from an airship, like a giant uh, thermal bomb, thermobaric bomb? Oh no! <laughs> um, they did a little bit. They did a little bit more research, and two items the party had in their possession at this point was a, a very, very large bag of holding, um, and a portable hole. Oh no! Um, so, with a bag of holding specifically, if you turn it inside out, all of the contents of the bag completely f- just come out, right? So yeah. they took the bag of holding and filled it to the brim with all these 400 vials of this frost stuff. And the party's barbarian, who had DR pretty high at this point, it was played by Hudson. Um, sure. uh, they gave him basically a ring that they had that was like a major acid resistance, basically. And okay. he he confronted the thing and and had this bag of holding on him and he got eaten. He intentionally entered the gullet of this thing. And there's stats for when that happens. There's how much crushing damage you take each round and acid damage, right? Of course. course. Well, his ring meant he was not taking a whole lot of acid damage, and his DR meant he wasn't taking a whole lot of crushing damage. But even then, he could only survive like four rounds inside this thing's gullet. Of course. But that's the time we needed to turn the sack inside out with a really hefty uh, uh, check, you know, because he was strong enough to do it. So he turns the sack inside out. All these vials come flying out, and the, the constrictive action of the stomach, they, just start, they all start bursting. Of course. Um, so it dies of a giant gout of indigestion. Pretty much, yes. 
And as soon as it is no longer alive and a living creature, he can use the portable hole to escape. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. They came up with this on their own. Took days of planning, and I... They made the right checks, and they really role-played it out well. They did a fantastic job. Oh, my God. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. I love it. It's a, and, and, and sometimes a, 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 coming up with a solution like that can be so much more enjoyable than running hours and hours of rolling combat and healing and, and you know using this magic weapon and this magic item and call, pulling out all these stops. Sometimes it's fun to just let the PCs connive and scheme and break your module. That wasn't the only time I've thrown the Terrasque at a party, too. Um, I threw I threw it at them again. Out of we, we, It became a running joke, so I threw it at them again the second Eberron campaign we ran. Ah! And remembering what they did last time, they instead relied on another property of the portable hole in the bag of holding. Like, if you throw one inside the other, I forget which. They explode. Well, it, 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 it rips a dimensional portal. Right. Yes. And transports yes. anything to the dimensional plane to a dimensional plane. So the party wizard um, buffed himself up with super DR spells and super elemental resistance spells. Got swallowed, threw one thing inside the other, and they transported. He transported himself and the Terrasque to the astral plane. Um, wait, I don't. I, wait, no, he didn't even get eaten. He just had to be within vicinity of the thing, if I remember correctly. So basically, he got underneath it and did it. Transported them both to the. You roll randomly, and it was it turned out to be the astral plane. You get transported there, and then he just, you know, he, he he cast major invisibility, gets the hell away from the thing, cast dimension door or, or uh, uh, dimensional gate or whatever it is, and goes home. <laughs> it's like we didn't kill it, but we took care of it. <laughs> One of my buddies took care of a a vampire lord who who was specked as a this badass black guard. Um. By he was a he was a halfling monk wizard, awesome combo. Um, who grappled with this vampire and then activated an amulet of the plains and transported him to the elemental plane of fire and left him there. That's the vampire kinda... did not last very long. Yeah, that's kind of epic. <laughs> Bam! Peace out, bitches. Beep! He comes back. He's all singed and on fire. He's like, it was worth it. Falls over at zero hit points. Man, I'm uh, and 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 it's stories like that which give me so much hope. Anytime I set down a book, you know, set down at a table with my buddies and start a new campaign, is my brain's going. I wonder what stories are going to come out of this one. God, some of the Star Wars games I've run was just oh, back in the RCR OCR days. I had really, I had a lot of I had a lot of fun throwing a cybernetically enhanced Rancor at the party. You've mentioned that before. Oh yeah, that's almost a running gag with anyone in D twenty radio at this point. Yeah. yeah. At what point is the cybernetic rancor coming out to play? Now, like the Trask, have you dropped a cybernetic rancor on your PCs multiple times? No. Uh, well, not yet. Are you due? <laughs> not yet. Are, are Are you due for a re- for a revisit? Oh, okay. Okay. So. Uh, the closest I've come is Cybernetic Rancor is fun, but when Saga Edition came out and we got the rules for Chrysalis creatures, yep. Yeah, th- then I started doing that because it was a lot more fun. And so I've dropped Chrysalis Rancors on p- parties before. Um, the 
there was this one nasty beast in Star Wars. It was basically the equivalent of like a of like a sandworm from Dune. Oh yeah, um, uh, Sith Great Worm or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So, I. I um, do you remember in all in all you I've talked about? I did the whole Futures Past episode. Yes, you did, and you had some martial artist badass have to fight one of these things hand to hand. Yeah, and I made it. I made it a chrysalis Sith Great Worm. <sighs> yeah. Oh yeah. Because just a Great Worm is too bland. You know, and the intention was I wanted to kill all the players because they weren't ever in danger. It was all just a vision of the future. You know. Yeah. Right. And uh, didn't uh, he take it out? Uh, he did. It killed. It killed him. But he took it out. Um, and it, it killed him in the process. I think it killed two of them actually. Um, but yeah, the 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 Tagorian martial artist, thanks Dono, uh, managed to uh, uh, take out this uh, this great worm. <laughs> I'm now trying to look up Chrysalis for Lance because he's like, "What's Chrysalis?" It's like a, it's basically a, a, a beast that's been uh, enhanced by Sith alchemy to become a really nastier, awful version of itself. Um, in D and D, you might call it dire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, it was just badass. Um, <sighs> it's crazy. <laughs> it was a, it was a mechanism that that. That um, some of the writers in Star Wars Expanded Universe used, like, I need something even more badass than a normal Rancor, and Cybernetic is just overdone. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, we, need, we, we need Super Weapon of the Week here, man. What's, uh... <laughs> it's, tra- it's tradition at this point. Yeah, that seems to be just a thing in EU. It's either Super Weapon of the Week or Super Beast of the Week. Yeah, It's, it's like, yeah. It's, it's the whole Dragon Ball Z syndrome. You know, over 9,000! <laughs> We have to come up with a bigger threat, and then the heroes get more powerful, and they defeat it. Oh, oh God! There's another Death Star floating around. Yeah, but it's like the size of just a small ship, and <laughs> and the huts control it. And oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, there's this, there's this yeah, thing. It, yeah, this thing it actually makes singularities. <laughs> it flies through star destroyers. <laughs> Why not just make a star destroyer out of it? Oh gosh, yeah. Man, why not make a Star Destroyer out of that stuff? What's up with that? Oh man. Uh, oh, but, I think I need to call it, dude. Sounds fair to me. Oh, good reminiscence. Good uh, times. Good times. Good times. Gamer Nation. We'll see you in two weeks. Good night. Peace out.